0: Hello and welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions. My name is Courtney.
1: And I am Carl.
0: This is episode 124, and we're reviewing Attack on Titan season three, part two. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode. Major spoilers. We'll touch on that again in a little bit, but yeah, expect expect a lot of big spoilers.
1: And I am ready to take on this final retrospective episode for the previous Attack on Titan seasons. Uh, I I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm kind of decked out in Attack on Titan gear right now. You are. (laughs) I have have the green hoodie with the Scout emblem on it. I have a T-shirt of Levi (laughs) on the front. Uh, I have a a cup of tea that has the Scout emblem on it, as well as a tumbler filled with water that I, I put a sticker of the Scout emblem on. So, yeah, I'm ready to dive deep into this discussion
0: and it's timely because there has been a recent announcement about attack on titan the final season the final part or is it the final part so uh share with us what was recently announced by mapa
1: yes so i have an article here from ign.com that says attack on titan final season part three premieres in march The catch is, Attack on Titan's final season part three will be split into two halves, the first of which will premiere on March 4th. So we know that we are reaching the conclusion of the series, but yeah, I think a lot of us were kind of taken by surprise when they said that it was (laughs) the final season, the final part is going to be split into two parts, which I want to say this is probably this probably holds the world record for the longest final season of any TV series. It's <laughs> <laughs> just, when did this start? 2020 was when the final season part one came out. Uh, but I think MAPA, the studio behind the animation for Attack on Time, the final season, is has heard the feedback about how <laughs> fans are, they might be a little displeased about hearing that we have two more cores to sit through. Uh, So they did release a statement and I have it here, which says, we're pleased to announce the release of attack on Titan, the final season. Our initial goal was to broadcast the entire final season on March 3rd, 2023. I believe they're referring to the final part of the final season. However, in the production process, the workload became much larger than expected. After consulting with the production committee, we've decided to release the final season in two parts. We deeply apologize to those who have been looking forward to the end of the anime's final arc. All of our employees and staff promise to deviate our energy to attack on Titan until it reaches its end. We hope you will give us a little more time.
0: I'm fine with that. I know it sucks. It's it's like the blue ball situation where, you know, they think we think we're going to get the finale and we really aren't, but I've always said this here on Strictly Anime. If an anime studio needs more time to do right by whatever anime they're working on, I'm fine with that. I would rather wait than get a shitty product that we can't go back and change. I mean, we could go back and change, but how often do they do that, right? Like, they don't go back and, like, change a bunch of major things. We just have to live with the fact that that piece of work turned out like crap. So when it comes to Attack on Titan... I'm fine with this. I, I know it sucks, but I am fine with this. MAPPA, take as much time as you need, as long as you do right by the end of this amazing story.
1: I'm on the same boat, but I know that MAPPA has taken... I mean, it's notorious for always taking more on its plate than is probably necessary. Because I know right now they they're they're working through Vinland Saga Season 2, just
0: finished Chainsaw Man. Yeah,
1: so these big-name projects. And so I'm, I'm sure it's it's a, a struggle to make sure that they're allocating resources to the right projects. Um, but, yeah, take, like, like you said, take as much time as you want. Um, I, I would hate for the finale of this amazing show to be rushed where it's almost like a like a promised Neverland situation.
0: Right? Oh, man. Season 2 of that anime was just... One of the biggest disappointments that we've had in recent memory. But, uh, you know, silver lining is us as Attack on Titan fans, we get more Attack on Titan content. That's great. Like, I I love that. Um, And again, fingers crossed that with additional time, MAPPA can give it the proper finale that it very much deserves.
1: I just think it's stupid that they've been calling this the final season. Well, I looked
0: on Mal because I was curious about that. Because I had seen in the initial announcement about breaking the quote-unquote final part of the final season into two parts that people were like trying to name it and, and coming up with all these crazy names like attack on titan the final season the final part the first iteration or like you know the the first act or something like that but uh mal has it here now for the localized title as attack on titan the final season part three which just makes sense like that's fine and i assume the last the next half will be part four or the final part, we'll
1: see. The final, final version, part 5.32, <laughs> or whatever. Uh, but yeah, it's again a final season that's lasted nearly two to three years. It doesn't make it sound like a final season, but I think it's just because this is this has all been one continuous arc l- leading to the conclusion of the series.
0: I think what may what could happen in theory if they ever wanted to go back and rename it is probably make the final season parts one and two into season four. And then mm-hmm. this h- chunk that's coming up in, in March of 2023, uh, quote unquote, parts three and four that could just be season five or the final season. I don't know. Either way, it's fine. We'll, we'll just take it as it comes. And uh, I'm going to guess that the final season part four, I'm not going to call it the final part. Cause uh, again, we are, we're all getting blue balled here, but um. The final season, part four, I imagine would come out early 2024.
1: Really? I thought um, this was like the entirety of the final part, part three, would be releasing within this year. So I think like we'll have the first half like cutting into winter and then into spring and then the final half, I assume, would be like the fall season.
0: Maybe if that's the amount of time Mappa needs and... Then sure. But I'm just going by like what we've traditionally gotten, which is what, 12 episodes um, every winter season or fall season, right around like the end of the year.
1: I think it, part one was the winter season. And then part, I think part two was also the winter season.
0: Yeah, so winter and fall season, the <laughs> end of the year. It's yeah. right around the time that it comes out. So I imagine it's it's like a year cycle in between um, each part of the final Season, Man, this, this terminology is just getting like too much trying to, to break everything up into its sections. I'll use sections instead of parts. I don't know. Either way, um, we'll continue to keep you guys posted if we hear any other updates. But for now, we're looking forward to March 4th. Although I did look on mail and it appears to be March 4th um, at like midnight or just after midnight Japan time. Mm-hmm. So for those of us here on um, this side of the planet, it's probably going to be the evening on March third so March third March fourth premiere depending on where you where you live in the world
1: that's interesting because I know with previous parts, the episodes always released Sunday in our hemisphere, so this time it's going to be yeah you know, Friday evening
0: yeah, I wonder like why they got a different time slot because it has been Sundays for us in the u s um for for pretty much the last several parts of the final season. Um, It is is gonna be weird getting used to that because it was fun rounding out the weekend with the Attack on Titan episode for that week. But now we're gonna be starting the weekend with the new Attack on Titan episodes.
1: More time to just soak in whatever the fuck happened in each episode, I'm sure.
0: (laughs) This change is important though at least for us here at Strictly Anime, because of course our Attack on Titan special event will be returning to this podcast because we can't miss an opportunity to talk about every single AOT episode as it comes out. So uh, for anyone who's not familiar, our Attack on Titan special event is something that we do on top of our regular schedule of episodes um, on Strictly Anime, where we deep dive and dissect that week's Uh, new Attack on Titan episode. Uh, Again, typically here in the States, um, Attack on Titan would premiere on Sundays and then our episodes on Strictly Anime would come out on the, the Wednesday following that new episode. So we thought about it and we're going to keep that Wednesday schedule even though Attack on Titan comes out two days earlier than it has been. So look forward to that. I know that a lot of our listeners really enjoy the Attack on Titan special event. We have a channel in our Discord dedicated to it, and it it gets filled with lots of really good theories and debates as we watch the show unfold week by week. And I'm sure for manga readers following the anime, it's fun to listen to, to Carl and I theorize about what's happening when you guys know the entirety of the story by now. The one thing to keep in mind, though, for this Attack on Titan special event is the timing of it all. We did recently uh, announce that we are expecting a a baby in April. So it's going to be early April um, that the baby is due to arrive. A baby
1: that was born into this world.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So what we ask is... Um, If you guys could please bear with us if there are any delays to our Attack on Titan special event episodes um, throughout the month of April. We have put together a schedule for Strictly Anime and Strictly Jojo where we're able to record a lot of our um, regularly scheduled stuff ahead of time in preparation for whenever the baby actually does arrive. But Attack on Titan is kind of throwing us for a loop because that is time sensitive. It needs to be timely because Attack on Titan is premiering starting in March. So again, we just ask that if there are any delays to our Attack on Titan special event episodes, just bear with us. Have patience. We'll keep you guys posted um, as much as possible if we do expect any delays. But our plan is to try and be as timely as possible with talking about Attack on Titan and releasing those episodes, hopefully every Wednesday.
1: Maybe this sounds mean but I am not going to let this baby get in the way of us watching Attack on Titan, the final season. <laughs> of course, we're going to take care of the baby. We're going to be as much of great parents as we can be to the baby, so we're not going to be like shitty anime parents. Um, but yeah, you know, we are all equally witnessing a huge part of anime history, and so we... We would love to be on the journey with you guys as this unfolds.
0: Are you kidding me? The baby's going to watch Attack on Titan with us. I know oh, right. it's been yeah. um, there's been some discussion, especially in our Discord, like what's the first anime we'll introduce to our baby? And we've joked around about a lot of things like Code Geass, right? Like something insane like that or maybe Pokemon because that's what we grew up on. But really, since Attack on Titan is going to be premiering, When we're in the midst of, you know, becoming new parents, I could see us watching Attack on Titan while the baby's there with us in the room. So I think technically the final season of Attack on Titan is going to be the baby's first anime.
1: Well, the most savage and brutal anime in recent memory. (laughs) Great first choice for them.
0: If there's anything that'll solidify the baby becoming a weeb, I'm sure it's Attack on Titan. If you're wanting to stay up to date on any possible delays we may experience in April um, with the baby coming here in our Attack on Titan special event, then there's a couple ways to do that. First off, you can follow and subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. So that way you can get notified as soon as the episodes are live. You can join our Discord. And again, we have an Attack on Titan dedicated channel so that, you know, we can contain spoilers, but also keep everyone up to date if we do expect any delays to our episodes releasing. Or you can follow us on social media. We're on Instagram at the Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series. And we'll be sure to post updates there for anyone who doesn't want to join the Discord, but again, still wants to stay up to date on what's going on with Strictly Anime. And while we're on the topic of staying connected with us and engaging with us, um, going back to whatever platform you listen to our podcast on if it has the ability to leave a rating and or a review on podcasts please consider doing that for us here at strictly anime it helps us out a lot especially if you're on spotify you can go to the ios or android app and then you can leave us a star rating and then like i said that helps us out a ton it uh gives us good feedback on our podcast and if you know anybody who is an avid anime fan and may really enjoy podcasts. Uh, word of mouth is one of the fastest ways that podcasts grow. So we would really appreciate it if you would share our podcast with people in your network. And then if you want to support us in another way, we are on Patreon. And you can find all of our tiers and all of the uh, the perks that come along with becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash the Series. So now let's talk about Attack on Titan Season 3 Part 2. The reason we want to do this retrospective on all of the seasons of Attack on Titan is because we've had for the past two, two and a half, almost three years, this um, AOT special event that we've been doing where, again, we review every single episode of the final season as it's airing. So we figured it'd be fun leading up to March, now that we know when the uh, next part is going to premiere, for us to look back on the previous seasons and deep dive into things like The writing and how the season was overall, but most importantly, trying to find each and every clue or hint that Isayama left us about the greater AOT lore that we just didn't notice the first time around or that we didn't catch because we just didn't understand what the full story was. So if you haven't listened to our other retrospectives for Attack on Titan, we highly encourage you to do so before listening to this one. We have um, our episode on season one which is episode 110 of Strictly Anime. Season 2 was episode 114 of Strictly Anime. And season 3, part 1 was episode 117 of Strictly Anime. Now going back to spoiler warnings, if you haven't caught up on the final season of Attack on Titan, we highly recommend stopping this podcast episode, catching up on Attack on Titan, and then returning to this podcast episode because... In order for us to do a true retrospective and to look at all the hints that were left about the Attack on Titan story, we need to talk about everything. Everything is fair game in the anime. So this is a major, major spoiler warning for Attack on Titan. If you have not caught up, please do so because we would hate to spoil something when it comes to this epic anime.
1: I have noticed that some of our listeners on Discord have actually recently started watching attack on titan and it seems like they, they binged it all the way through so that goes to say what's your excuse <laughs> i'm just kidding but yeah as, as courtney mentioned just make sure that you watched the series through its current entirety through the final season part two before proceeding
0: We imagine if you're listening to our Attack on Titan special event that you are caught up, but here it's a little bit different. Like maybe someone sees the title, oh, season three, part two. They must be only talking about that in a very contained way. Not the case at all. This is not your typical, like, traditional review that we do. We're going to talk about everything Attack on Titan. So again, spoiler warning for you all. So to kick things off, as always, with our retrospectives, we're going to start off by talking about our general thoughts and reviews of season three part two of attack on titan and to lead us there carl has a synopsis as always
1: yes all right strictly fam time for us to rage scream and fight our way through our synopsis and discussion for attack on titan season three part two the 2019 anime adaptation of a dark fantasy manga series written and illustrated by hajime isayama the anime was produced by Wit Studio and directed by Tetsuro Araki, and covers chapters 71 through 90 from the original manga, known as the Return to Shiganshina arc. It's the showdown of the century as the scouts reach Shiganshina Jump District to face the titans in a deadly game of baseball to decide the fate of humanity. But although they gain a considerable lead by putting the armored titan in a perilous pickle, it is the pitching prowess of the Monkey Man titan That boosts the titan's defense stats, especially so once the colossal titan rears its muscly face to burn the playing field. With their season of strength successes on the line, team captain Erwin Dancho leads his comrades into a suicide charge towards the pitcher's mound, while team co-captain Armin distracts the colossal catcher with a piping hot cup of Arlert dark roast, a double play that nearly takes both captains out of the game. But thanks to the former's efforts, the very shortstop Levi Ho sneaks in as a designated heavy hitter against the Monkeyman pitcher, resulting in the single greatest moment in AOT that forever lives rent-free in my head. And thanks to the latter's efforts, team mascot Aaron Yeagerman-Jensen cuts down the Colossal Catcher's carcass as a trophy for their hard-earned Wardo Series victory. Monkey Man and Armored Titan are promptly escorted off the field by assistant coach Cart Titan, but not before the Monkey Man extends introductory pleasantries with Eren and swearing to a rematch next season. During the post-game conference, the scouts struggle to fulfill a trade deadline over who gets to inherit the colossal catcher's carcass, the emaciated Erwin Dancho or an Armin set aflame. But in the eleventh hour, Levi Hecho decides to inject Armin with the titan steroids to consume the colossal carcass believing that he will ensure a higher win probability for the scouts in the coming slaughter of a season. We then turn our attention from base ball to base mint, as Aaron Jaegerman-Jensen and the scouts finally unlock the mysteries to what Grisha Yeager's browsing history looked like, taking us to the magical municipality of Marley, where the scouts learn that their not-so-distant relatives, the Eldians, live under the oppressive regime of the Marlians, who find Eldians more threatening than the wimpy name of their own country. Realizing that the enemy of their enemy is definitely not their friend, Aaron and the scouts ride towards the edge of their island paradise to await their true freedom or fate on the other side of the sea. How are they going to get across the sea? I guess they're gonna need a MAPA.
0: So we've been asking a few questions in each of these retrospectives, and I thought I'd bring it back. Why not? Let's fucking do it. This is the last one we're doing. So let's first ask ourselves... How did the watching experience change this time around for season three, part two? Did it change at all? Did it feel more or less exciting? And for a clarification, or if this is helpful to know, I believe this is only the second time that Carl and I are watching season three, part two. So this is the first time we're rewatching it, rewatching it with the knowledge that we have today about the show. So do you want to go first or do you want me to go first on this one?
1: You can go first. I feel like I've gone first the first couple of times we've done this.
0: <laughs> well, for me, I I think in the past, um, when we looked at the past seasons, one through three, part one, that I said that the, cha- the viewing experience changed um, and made it more exciting because trying to find these hints is mind-blowing every time you discover one. You're like, oh, shit, I cannot believe Isayama told us this stuff so early on in the show and we had no idea what we were even absorbing at the time. With season three part two, I think the Grisha reveal episodes is all called them, basically everything post them discovering the books in the basement made so much more sense this time so it wasn't even like oh shit moments because I knew that they gave us all this information but the first time watching season three part two there was so much brand new information shared but not fully explained that it left a lot of us very confused confused in a way where we knew at some point there would be clarification but in that moment I was like I don't know exactly what I just learned but I learned something big for example They talk a lot about Marley, but very briefly explain what Marley even is. I thought it was a person. I'm like, who's Marley? I don't understand.
1: Yeah, not (laughs) Marley and me, (laughs) the dog from that movie. That's what I keep thinking when I hear Marley.
0: And then they didn't really explain Liberio. I think they dropped the name like Liberio... Shit, what was it called? Like the, the full LeBario name. The Barrio
1: Internment Zone. Yeah,
0: there you go. And I was like, what is that? I don't understand. But they they never really explained it. They will in the final season, but we never really got an explanation during this part of season three. So really a lot had to be inferred at the time that season three part two was premiering. But we knew, again, the information that we were getting was pretty important. So I would say the rewatch experience of season three part two was still as exciting as the other seasons but felt very different this time around um, just because it was more like aha moments versus oh shit moments. What about you?
1: Yeah, I very much feel the same way. I think with every season of Attack on Titan that we've rewatched, there's always that added nuance of knowing the context of what's happening now since watching those seasons the first time, you have to kind of piece things together. And in a way, we are still piecing things together, even having this full omnipotent knowledge of the world of Attack on Titan. Uh, But I think besides seeing all the clues and having those aha moments, I just, I think the same feelings came up of me watching this part two as they did when we first watched this in 2019. I still felt really excited and tense when we see this kind of to-and-fro battle between the Scouts and the Titans, especially with this feeling like it's a, a sort of do-or-die, win-or-go-home situation, almost like a Game 7 of any sports finals series. And just knowing that the, the, the Scouts are like right there. They're right at the finish line of getting to learn the truth about this whole situation, but they have this enormous obstacle you go through which is the beast titan and defeating the armored and colossal titans um as like payback for what happened to them five years ago so getting to witness those scenes again especially of course the levi versus beast titan scene like i i still got chills i still got boost goosebumps and even with armin's death knowing that that was coming up like i still like <laughs> i almost like teared up again but Yeah, I think season three, part two, obviously gives us the most context about what's happening in the world, especially when we first saw it, um, and just that satisfaction of it clicking in our heads when we watched it unfold. I very much remember those feelings, but like you said, getting to see it now where we feel like we know what's going on, it's less of that clicking, like satisfaction of the clicking in our heads, but more so getting that sort of clarity uh, sort of getting more of that nirvana of how these events are unfolding together i mean it, it did make sense watching it the first time like with why the, the titan like why the warrior titans are coming over although it kind of blew my mind at first because i was like so technically they're fighting their own cousins or their own family members but then you realize the bigger picture is that it, it's really a story of like self-genocide and that's what i think what we have to focus on now as viewers is how how do these characters get out of that and seeing what's planted especially in aaron's mind in this second core to see what he does with that moving forward
0: yeah i think we can watch season three part two knowing what we know now and and watch this part with so much greater appreciation for what's being shared with us and i want to dive into a lot of that and we will when we get to the second half of our discussion we look at the hints that isayama dropped for us because there's going to be a lot to talk about um i know our other question is favorite and least favorite parts of the season um this one's tough for me (laughs) it's same very very difficult i was actually gonna lob it over at you to talk about first (laughs) because that's how difficult it is for me like i love everything about this season i'm just gonna say it up front i think it's fantastic
1: this season or this core
0: this core of the season yeah sorry um and i just it's it's so hard for me to pick both my favorite and least favorite things because i just think everything about it is phenomenal
1: well, I know for sure what my favorite part of the season was, and I think you, you can easily guess, and I, I just mentioned it, it's when Levi faces off against the Beast Titan. And since like there was so much riding on that moment with Erwin leading the suicide charge against Zeke and them distracting Zeke as much as they could with the smoke and him lobbing those fastballs and, and curveballs and change him to not notice that his wall of titans that's surrounding the scouts is slowly crumbling and then the sakuga of that moment when levi finally gets to zeke and just slashes and and dashes his way across his body i don't think i've ever seen a piece of animation that was just so brutally exquisite i know that sounds like an oxymoron but Nothing that I've seen in anime so far has been that gorgeous. And it's funny because I saw a YouTube video. I don't know if I can find it, but if I do, I can share it on the Discord. Um, Someone did like a flip book of this exact scene, and (laughs) it looks exactly as it's presented in the anime, but in sketch form. And just knowing like, again, the detail of that is astounding. And especially just watching it unfold the first time, remember i was just so hyped when this happens like yes the scouts are about to win this and then we find out like this victory comes at a cost so i would say that of course like i think that's just my favorite moment of all time right now in attack on titan and i'm sure a lot of other people share the same sentiments especially those who consider levi their husbando as i do i still have to think about my least favorite moment of of this core but what was your favorite moment?
0: So besides Levi and the Beast Titan, yeah, I, I figured you were gonna pick that one, so I kind of wanted to pick um, something else. I agree; I think that that part is iconic among Attack on Titan moments. I would say maybe my favorite or next favorite moment of season three, part two, has to be the episode where Levi decides between Erwin and Armin. Or mm, yeah. I think it's kind of tech; it's like technically over like two episodes that it unfolds. Either way, the whole thing was amazingly done because it, it evoked so much emotion out of me watching it. And I'm sure the same for a lot of viewers. Like I, I don't get too choked up on, on moments that, um, you know, draw out a lot of feels. But I, I felt something um, in this moment, both the first time and second time watching it. And I think that's largely part, um, in part because... There's no music the entire time mm-hmm. until Levi, I think, makes his decision. Then the music kicks in. So you're just hearing this like emptiness almost like this silence echoed with the screams and pleas and and begs of Mikasa and and Aaron to save Armin and them trying to basically convince Levi to not save the person he's, most attached to whether he's attached to Erwin through his Ackerman blood or because of their long-standing relationship it's just not an easy pill to swallow for anyone it's it's not an easy scene or sequence to sit through it makes you very uncomfortable it makes you very emotional because I personally could have gone either way like do I think Levi made the right decision? Yes, but if he had picked Erwin instead, I would have been equally happy because both of those characters are so important.
1: Yeah. With them it was like choosing between a rock and a hard place. But I, I liked the, the the poetry of of why Levi ended up choosing Armin over Erwin. And I'm sure we'll we'll discuss that later on.
0: Yeah, and I think what hurts the most is that this is probably one of the shittiest positions that the scouts have ever been put in there's a lot of shitty positions they've been put in but to have to make this decision you just think to yourself man if they just had one more vial of Titan fluid or if they had just you know found a different option for Armin instead of having to cook himself or found a different option for stopping um, Zeke so that Erwin wouldn't have to have you know, rushed in at the front of that cavalry. Like, you, you just, you want to beg the universe to give you another alternative or something else to get out of this really difficult decision, and it's just not there. The decision has to be made.
1: I think that's what makes this core so damn good, is that characters have to, are, characters are forced to reach, like, their breaking point in making sure that they they come out successful against uh, against these titans, that they're willing to put everything on the line, especially their lives, to reach the truth, which, as I said earlier, it's just within mere meters of them. The basement's right there. It's just they have to get rid of this huge obstacle that's, face, that's standing in their way. And yeah, I, I like I said, that that's what just makes this core even more of a treat to watch just knowing the magnitude of what these characters have to go through to finally reach the truth but then you don't even realize like that's not the freedom that they had seeked and that just makes everything more complicated which also makes this such a such a great core to watch
0: As for my least favorite part of the season, genuinely, I don't think I have one. I don't think I have one, but if I were to force myself to pick something that resonated with me just a little less than everything else that happened in the season... I don't know, is it Flock? Like, just fucking Flock? <laughs> <laughs> I think it has to be Flock, just how fucking mm-hmm. annoying he is, how much of a downer he is when sh- when things are already really terrible. Um, He was just fucking annoying from the moment he was introduced. But I think he's even more annoying to me now because I know what I know from the final season. So mm-hmm. he annoyed me the first time I watched it not knowing what he was going to be capable of. Now I'm like a hundred times more annoyed. But really, just jokes aside, I think he he was a thorn in, in everyone's side throughout the latter half of the season. And it's intentional. We need that, right? Like, it's not bad writing. It's not an annoying character. He's intentionally placed there to be the devil's advocate, to be the other side of the the coin, the other opinion in the room. Um, But that doesn't make it any more enjoyable watching him. It's not like I wouldn't want to watch him. It's not like it ruined the show or anything like that. It's just if I had to pick something that I would call my least favorite part, it would be Flock.
1: He's just a a whiny little boy, especially considering that I think he is one of the new scout recruits at this point. Yeah. Um. So he isn't as battle-hardened as the rest of Levi squad or, of course, Erwin. Um, So he's only seeing things from that that sort of newbie perspective but as you said later on when he's confronting uh Levi's squad right before their ceremony he he does bring up some pretty interesting points that you have to consider and also without flock we wouldn't have gotten that dis- that choice between Erwin or Armin um, so we have to g- give him a little bit of credit uh, in that regard. But yeah, his, his, hair, <laughs> his hair was annoying. That's all I'll say. Um, if I had to choose a, a least favorite moment, again, I didn't, there weren't many things that annoyed me about this core, just because it was great payoff after payoff after payoff. But I will say that Reiner's role felt a little bit downplayed, almost as if he was was like castrated because we know that it's been established from pretty much the very first episode of attack on titan that the armor titan is a credible threat i mean he was the one who burst through wall maria and through uh the wall of Shiganshina that caused all of this mess to occur but in this core it makes sense like the scouts finally have an upper hand against reiner because they've They've stolen the, what, the Thunder Spear technology from the interior. Not stolen it, but they've utilized it to its fullest potential by breaking down the armor Titan's armor pieces. Um, but then after that, it's just kind of like Reiner's there. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, he's there as sort of like a thing for them to tackle, but bear told, I think, outshines him, which... Makes sense because it's Bertolt's final moments, mm-hmm. and he's been outshined by Reiner up until this point. So I guess they did a bit of a flip flop.
1: Yeah, and I know that final season in the final season, it the focus shifts back to Reiner and how he's sort of developed or maybe not developed as a character. How he
0: just wants to die a peaceful death or whatever. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I would say, yeah, his his role in the second core, it makes sense why it was downplayed, but. Um. Yeah, it just didn't feel like the the Reiner that we've seen in previous seasons. And also, there's that <laughs> the the handsome Reiner, like handsome Squidward moment that oh, yeah. <laughs> kind of threw me off when I first saw it. So
0: let's keep talking about the season as a whole because I I do have a couple of things I really want to call out. Um, some most of them good, some of them bad. And I first want to say that one of my favorite things about the season, I guess if we're still talking about favorites, is that the season focuses almost exclusively on the OG scouts, including Reiner and Bertolt. Like, this is their time to shine. This is their time to take the lead. And I'm talking Sasha, Connie, John, Armin, Mikasa, Aaron. Again, Reiner and Bertolt, um, Flock, I guess, is part of that. Hanj and Levi and Erwin. Like, you, did I miss anybody? I hope I didn't.
1: <laughs> well, Marlo, but he was more of like a smaller role. Yeah.
0: So you, you get the OG scouts that we all know and love. And sure, they've each had their own moments peppered throughout the earlier seasons. But here, it is solely focused on them. The characters that we love and them actually getting to do some crazy shit. And they end up being the only ones who survive in the end anyway, minus Erwin. So it's, it's just important. It's so important because... This is one of the last times we're going to see the OG scouts in this way as a a unit besides Flock, as a, a team, as a family, because then we do our time skip in the final season and things are a little rocky for them because Aaron has gone
1: rogue. And I think they deserved the moments that they received in this core because they were the ones firsthand to experience the tragedy of of the fall of Shiganshina and bore witness to all of its atrocities. And so I think each of them had their own vendetta going into this battle, knowing, I, I guess, even more so for Aaron because, like, this is his home. But, again, that this is the last sort of line of defense that the Beast Titan and the, the, the rest of these Warrior Titans have um, that is keeping them from discovering the truth about the world. So there's obviously a lot riding on this squad in this do-or-die moment for them to achieve victory.
0: There's also that moment of the OG scouts all riding on Eren's Attack Titan, working together with him, and that is so special, knowing again what happens in the next season. So that was a a moment that stuck out to me that I I had to take note of. Uh, Because it's the last time, maybe we're gonna get it for a while. I don't know. We'll see what happens in the final season, part three. But uh, I think
1: they're all gonna attach to a rib of Aaron's fountain. (laughs) Maybe. I mean,
0: minus (laughs) Sasha, because you know, we all know what happens there. This season also gave us some really iconic moments. We've got the finger guns Titan, (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. that's
0: where he's at. Um, As you mentioned, the handsome Squidward, handsome Reiner face which I think is an underappreciated meme. And of course, Crispy Armin, Burnt oh, Armin, whatever, whichever yes. one you want to say, that's <laughs> oh. that's iconic as well. But I think the, the part of the season that deserves a lot of recognition is the, I'll call it the duality of Erwin. He's played a critical part throughout the entire show, but I think the biggest piece of his story comes into play in season three, part two. Um, I think back to that imagery where he says he stood on a a mountain of corpses all to achieve his personal goal of proving his father right, who we know was murdered for trying to tell people the truth. He just wants to see what's in the basement. (laughs) Like, There's just so much going on with him. Um, He he knows that his plan at the end of, of his story, the plan to rush the Beast Titan, is a shitty plan for the new recruits. But it's also critical for the mission, and I think he tells Levi in those moments that um, you know it takes some, it takes a liar to rally these people to kill themselves, and he's the biggest liar of them all. At least in his own eyes, he feels he's the biggest liar of them all because he tells Levi that. He wants to go to the basement. And that's been his driving factor for everything that he's done, his dream that he shared with his father. And he's opening up to Levi in these final moments, saying that he wants this so bad, but is reminded of all the comrades that sacrificed their lives for this bigger fight. When in Erwin's head, it was all to just get to the basement. But I also think that Erwin maybe is too hard on himself. Because again, the duality of Er Erwin is that he says that all of this everything that he's done leading all these people has been for his own personal gain to find out the truth but at the same time finding out that truth is critical for the safety of humanity and he's been the only one who could get humanity this far in the first place who knows maybe maybe paradise would have been wiped out a lot sooner if he hadn't you know been such a pain in the butt for the marley people so it's it's interesting that he doubts himself he criticizes himself when paradise has him to thank for a lot of things
1: i think this was probably the most eye-opening thing or one of the most eye-opening things of this core just realizing that erwin yeah he he is noble in his cause for getting humanity to this point but just the fact that it was only to fuel his own aspirations about searching for the truth it's in a way it, it kind of affirms that yeah he he is i think he calls himself like an expert con man who's introduced this slew of lies to get as close to his dream as possible and i guess it, it does line up with them trying to save humanity from this morbid fate but then it's only up until a point the point being like the the truth that's hidden in the basement that will kind of affirm his father's legacy. And I think that kind of ties in, there's a lot of things that this ties in with, like duality kind of makes you think of seeing Reiner in the final season, how he has to, and even I think season two, there were hints of this, how he has to kind of deal with these dual personalities that he has inside him. And also the fact that, This second core has focused on dreams a lot and how much dreams, like how much those align to personal goals, but also how those dreams align to the greater good. And it's tough with Erwin because as much as it seems like he has been fighting for the greater good with this sort of lie he's keeping to himself, I, I think that that imagery of him standing on the mound of corpses is so powerful. It's like this is the cost of him, in a way, feeling so selfish about wanting to get to this goal, even though this might not be like a shared goal amongst all of the scouts.
0: Yeah, I think Erwin has to be one of the most tragic characters, not only in attack on Titan, but in all of anime. Because he dies before ever seeing what was in the basement and learning the truth, which mm-hmm. was his only goal, and he never—he personally never got to prove his father right and avenge him. But it's through, you know, the scouts finding the truth that that truth eventually comes out. Um, and yet again, his leadership and his sacrifices are the only reason, or could arguably be the only reason, that they even got to the basement at all. And I again, I think he's hard on himself. Like I, I think that. The type of person that Erwin is, he would have found another way to prove his father right if the goal of getting information about Titans wasn't a shared goal with all of Parodies. It just lined up perfectly and he was the right person for the job um, with the right motivations to get them from point A to point B.
1: I think in a way it's almost like Erwin not seeing his dream fully realized is his sort of penance for the means by which he was trying to reach this goal and i think you know that's why levi says to him give up on your dream and die i don't think it was levi saying i don't like you don't deserve this dream but you know knowing how much erwin has had to succumb to these these horrible ways of reaching his goal i think it's more of levi wanting his demons to be laid to rest so that he doesn't have to Like if he were to reach the truth in the basement that he would have to continue to live with the guilt of finding this out while thousands of scouts before him had had to die for this.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And I feel like there's another part of the give up on your dream and die line that says it's okay. Like we, we realize that the only way to progress the mission forward is to do this suicide mission against the Beast Titan. And the only way to get the troops to, you know, to do this this horrible thing is if you're at the front of it um standing shoulder to shoulder with them you know riding to your death just like they are otherwise they'll never do it so he's saying give up on your dream and die for the reason you explained but also to say it's okay you you may not be able to make it to the end but you can trust us to carry that torch and to see your mission through which is exactly what they end up doing
1: And i think that's what exact what erwin exactly says when he leads the charge that my soldiers rage my soldiers scream my soldiers fight that speech at the end of episode 53 perfect game like he's come to that realization that yes this, this is his moment where he's going to die he's not going to learn the truth but it's everyone that will come out of this battle alive that's going to give meaning to his life so that he, he's not the one that like who carries the burden of the sin of Wanting to discover the truth, in a way.
0: And the only reason they could even complete the mission is because of everything that he gave them and led them towards in the beginning. And I think the other passing of the torch that's incredibly important is the passing of the torch from Erwin to Armin. All of the parallels between them in this season or this part of the season are phenomenal, especially when Armin and Erwin are both willing to sacrifice themselves and die for the mission and give up on their dreams of either finding out the truth or seeing the sea. Um, So that, that just shows you that they've always been, you know, they've always seen eye to eye. And it's cool because in this core of season three, you actually get to see that in action. You get to see Armin and Erwin think together on you know how to find Reiner and Bertolt you get to see Erwin place trust and responsibility on Armin's shoulders to prepare him for eventually taking on you know his his position when foreshadowing is telling us that Erwin is probably going to die Um, and Erwin recognizing Armin as somebody who is one of the few that is capable of doing what he's been able to do even though they have very different personalities Erwin is very Bold, um sticks to his guns. He knows how to kind of set his emotions aside. Armin is the complete opposite of that. Sometimes he's an emotional wreck, and it can be that self-doubting, you know, protagonist. But Erwin sees something in Armin that only Armin can do, and no one else.
1: I like to look at the the dream comparison between Erwin and Armin. And I think that becomes relevant in was it episode fifty four hero? and a subsequent episode episode 55 Midnight Sun we've explained that Erwin's dream has always been to learn about the truth of the basement to affirm his his father's suspicions whereas Armin as you mentioned is more of getting to venture beyond the walls finding a newfound sense of freedom and that freedom being symbolized in getting to see <laughs> getting to see the sea um In a way, I think this is what Levi's wrestling with as he has to choose between saving Erwin or Armin is which one of these dreams is the more noble cause in a way.
0: There's that moment where I think Levi remembers asking Erwin, what are you going to do after you find the basement? And he's like, I don't know. But Mm -hmm. then he was overhearing Armin talk about what is he going to do after he sees the the sea? It's to continue towards freedom. Like Armin has a larger plan, a a plan that continues on. Erwin's was kind of like finite, and then he didn't even know what he would do at that point. Could he still have done a bunch of stuff? Absolutely. But I think that signaled to Levi that Armin is in a place where he has so much more to achieve um, versus Erwin, who was so close to the end of his road.
1: I think it's also important to mention uh, Levi gets a flashback of Kenny in Kenny's final moments where he says to him, everyone had to be drunk on something to keep pushing on. Everyone is a slave to something. And that kind of connects with what you just said. Aaron was a slave to the truth. But Armin is a sl- not like a slave, but his his aspiration towards freedom is I think what is in line with the goals of humanity at this point.
0: Breaking free from being slaves. Right.
1: Little piece of trivia by the way with episode 54 hero where all of this kind of starts between choosing between armin and erwin is that episode 54 upon its release earned a 10 out of 10 score on imdb the internet movie database temporarily becoming the highest rated tv episode on the site and the only one to earn a perfect score at the time i think that score kind of dropped as of recently But it's now the second highest rated TV episode on the platform.
0: Good. It's phenomenal. (laughs) (laughs) Well, despite all of the praise that we're giving season three, part two, there is one thing we do have to recognize. Not everything is perfect. And there is that moment where before he transforms, Bertolt says to himself that no one is in the wrong and there's nothing we can do because the world is cruel. And the cruelest thing of all Seeing him transform into the CG <laughs> oh colossal titan—it was I feel absolutely like you were disgusting. This I know it's horrible. So maybe
1: that's the worst thing for you. of Yeah, this season, that's this true. Core. Maybe
0: I should have said that instead of flock. But flock is pretty bad. All right, if I had to, if I could go back and redo that, I might put the CG colossal titan as the worst part. It was just ugly. It was just ugly. We all know it was ugly. It's horrible. At least the the MOPA CG is like you know it's better. It's, you could it's better blended it. into yeah, the
1: animation. It's a better
0: attempt at CG. <laughs> the Colossal Titan from this part of the season was just atrocious. And the worst part is they couldn't even make the Colossal Titan appearance in the OP, a 2D Colossal Titan. They kept the ugly CG Colossal Titan. I'm like, this thing is here for like 10 frames for like two seconds. You couldn't have just 2D drawn this thing instead of you know, planting that nasty looking Colossal Titan in here. I just I know a a big part of the AOT community was like, what is this thing we are being subjected to? So I have to call that out. because um, it did rip me out of my very deep immersion the first time I saw it.
1: Cruel CGI world. <laughs> That's probably what Bertolt was referring to. Let's talk about the OP and the ED, because I think we forgot to talk about that in our initial discussion. Um, and those are of course important aspects of any anime but especially with attack on titan so the op for this core we have Shoketo shikabane no michi translated to the path of longing and corpses which is of course performed by linked horizon this is the last aot song to be performed by the band at least for now and i'm holding out hope we're going to get one more appearance from them in the final season, part three or part 3.2. Although I I noticed that with this song, it reuses a handful of melodies and motifs from previous Link Horizon OPs in Attack on Titan, especially in the beginning. You have the... which is from the first OP, but here they use different lyrics. So the fact that they are incorporating all these different melodies from... The previous OPs, it's it kind of suggests a grand finale to Link Horizon's work on the show. If you catch my drift, so that's one thing that's making me think that they're probably not going to invite Link Horizon back. That would be great if they did, but with the direction that the show is going, where it's a more darker tone, I think they want to stray away from these sort of patriotic anthems that Link Horizon has produced. And I gotta say, this is probably my Least favorite of the Link to Horizon ops.
0: Same. It's my least favorite op. I think overall,
1: you, you like Red Swan better than this one.
0: Oh wait, which <laughs> one was Red Swan? The the ballad or that whatever? was the the op for the, the Fly to first... heaven.
1: Yes. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, actually, I think I like that one a little bit better than this one. Mm. I think I don't know. Maybe I don't. Maybe it's that I don't dislike it. It's just I don't remember it. When we first started our re- rewatch, I was like, I don't remember this opening Very much like I remember some vague things, like the colossal Titan explosion from like that aerial view, and the song I like vaguely remember. It's just it's all right. Like it's it's uh, of the Attack on Titan openings. It's just all right. Didn't stick with me because I clearly was like I don't recall most of what's happening here.
1: And those are valid points because the op the visuals here it feels more like an NBA highlights reel of. the battle to retake wall maria because it just i think we see all of this happen and unfold in the episodes themselves it's just a lot of slow motion shots of the scouts flying across the air or there's a the shot of armin like slowly turning his head towards the camera
0: you know what i do remember about this op It kind of, well, obviously it spoils the shit out of what's going to happen in season three, part two. But I remember the first time watching the OP, there's that image of uh, Bertholdt's Colossal Titan where like half his face is Colossal Titan, half is a skull. Mm -hmm. And then it immediately changes to Armin laying down, waking up. Like his face is also kind of positioned the same way in the frame, but it's him waking up. And immediately I was like, oh my God, is he going to become the Colossal? That's like my first thought. I was like, Oh my god, he's gonna become the Colossal. I knew it at the time because of that image before the before that season even really fucking started. The first time they played the OP, I was like, Oh my god, this is a spoiler, wasn't it?
1: (laughs) I guess, yeah, that could have been reassurance to know that Armin survives in the end. Right.
0: I guess so. I kinda I mean it's it's not just an attack on Titan thing. A lot of Mm -hmm. anime spoil the shit out of a season with the OP and ED visuals so it, it happens it just is a shame that I that it clicked in my head so quickly
1: and then there's a shot of like landscapes that we know are beyond the walls like the sandy dunes and of course the sea so in a way that's also a spoiler that the scouts are successful in their mission and they venture beyond the walls and then the, the final shot is of course the basement that holds all of the truth uh, of this world that the scouts discover in this core um, moving on to the lyrics again with linked horizon a lot of their songs felt very patriotic and like like a, had a go getem spirit with this one it's less of a morale boosting anthem and just more of a song about what needs to be done for the scouts or for humanity to march towards a still uncertain future I mean, look at the title itself. It doesn't sound as patriotic as Shinzo wo like Dedicate Your Hearts, The Path of Longing and Corpses. It's more of a kind of a Debbie Downer of a title. And then you have lyrics, like there's one lyric I pulled out, we can finally grasp the truth, we just need to tread on the corpses, symbolizing the cost of the scouts in undertaking this mission to discover the truth. Last thing I'll say with the OP is with the opening line that sounds like the translated for this OP, the lyrics are that day humanity remembered, which is, I want to say is a slight variation on the very first line of the series where Armin says in his narration, on that day humanity received a grim reminder. But here with the song declaring that day humanity remembered, I think this is, referencing the episode that day uh, towards the later half of this core where it symbolizes humanity remembered as in remembered the history of Eldia and finally learned about the world beyond the walls. So very poetic in that sense. And then you have the E.D., which is Name of Love by Cinema Staff. I believe the band had done a previous E.D., in Attack on Titan. I think it was the f- not the f- oh no, it was the second one I think. The one that you mentioned had the the paths uh written as graffiti on the wall. Yeah. Um so yeah, they they return for this I think their final ED for Attack on Titan. Um this one nothing really noteworthy visuals wise cuz it's just flashes of the cadets training before they become Levi squad or like bonding together, especially a lot of moments from season one. Uh, Lyrics-wise, I think it touches upon the sort of loneliness and the solitude that's felt by the scouts and the Eldians, where the chorus, the lyrics have things like, let's call out each other's names that only belong to us, let us share our joys that only mean something to us, let us embrace each other's pain that only we can feel. And then the final line you hear in the tv size version wherever in this world if we can meet in the future don't forget about me about the truth so very much tying in with the things that we see in this core
0: yeah i also don't remember this one very well um i would say this song i remember more than the the op song but the images of the scouts training and all that stuff like I i just don't remember it maybe it's because it doesn't give us anything new it's all flashbacks it's all memories and mostly and most of the ed's have had something that is a, a bit of a hint here not so much it's funny how the best part in my opinion of the show has the most forgettable op and ed
1: <laughs> that's that's true it's like an oxymoron or something
0: now let's move into the hints that we found throughout season three part two. This is going to be the the meatiest part of our discussion especially for this season that just kind of opened the floodgates to what's really going on beyond the walls. So starting right off the bat with episode 50 we are going to use Attack on Titan's numbering system here. So episode 50 I one of the first things I noticed is that when they were Walking through the forest they came across that one Titan who was sitting, sleeping, whatever. He didn't react to them. And they think the Titans were able to move at night during um during that attack. The
1: Utgard yeah, on that like arc. tower that
0: they were on mm-hmm. because of the sunlight reflected onto the moon. But it was actually Zeke because they yes. still don't know by this point that Zeke has royal blood. And on their walk um through the night You've got Aaron and Armin and Mikasa talking about their doubts and what motivates them. And Aaron says strength flows through him when he thinks about taking back freedom. And I just think about the final season. That 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 is like I one of his driving factors and strength definitely flows through him with all the shit that he's going through in the final season.
1: Who doesn't I know we we've had a discussion about this in one of our special episodes. Isn't it Aaron's aaron's will itself that gets imbued in the attack and the attack titan's abilities that causes him to feel this way
0: yes because i think in one of the later episodes of this part kruger tells uh grisha that the attack titan is always moving towards freedom
1: so it it, it's like a full circle thing since it's like a constant circle (laughs) yeah because it was aaron who established this will it's like which came first the chicken or the egg
0: (laughs) aaron also says we can do this um to like the the group whatever because they've all been special since they were born and they're all free and again i just think about like these these motifs around freedom and being like being special because you were born into the world and how that comes back into play in the final season and how that probably ties into Aaron's motivation for everything that he's doing.
1: What's funny because he actually says, I can do this, but then he corrects himself to say, no, we can do this. Yeah. Like, is there a, a little bit of hinting in, in that line with what happens in the final season? Because we know like he's basically taking it upon himself at this point to to initiate the rumbling and, and cro- cross into Marley Shores and, and, and take down the enemies of Eldia. But by saying we can do this, or like fixing his statement to we can do this, like what does that imply?
0: I think that his goal has always been, because this is a question that you and I have tackled constantly throughout our, our special event and throughout our review of the final season, is what is aaron's real goal at the end of the day does he still care about the og scouts and we still believe yes he does that a lot of what is motivating him is protecting the people he cares about protecting his friends so for him to say i can do this no we can do this that is another hint that he's always had his friends safety at top of mind
1: one thing that i caught in this episode is you know armin thinks back to seeing the face of the titan in i forget which wall it was um, and that's what signals him to realize they should look for the enemy warrior titans within the walls and i think this is a this is a little bit of foreshadowing to and a reminder that these walls are created of titans and those are the ones that are going to burst out of the walls when the rumbling is initiated
0: yeah, I do want to call out that some of these hints, like our Season 3 Part 1 um, retrospective, some of these hints are going to be like debunked or talked about later in this exact core of the season. So I think this may be most hints that, that we'll find out things later in the final season, but a couple of hints as well that might just get resolved within a few episodes but are still worth calling out. I also caught that Armin Smell's those cups and sees black liquid in them when he's trying to figure out like who was camping out um, by the wall and he smells it and says it smells good but doesn't know what it is and while they don't specifically call out that it's coffee or something like coffee it's another hint to all of the things that Paradise or that Marley and the rest of the world have that Paradise does not. Because I don't think it's really set in yet how far behind Paradise is from the rest of the world. And this is one of those moments where Armin is introduced to a mysterious black liquid, probably coffee, that they just have never come across on this island.
1: I'm surprised they've never heard of coffee because Levi's always sipping tea in the strange way that he holds teacups. So I would figure. Like like those two liquids are plentiful in parodies, but I guess they don't grow coffee beans <laughs> in the walls.
0: We talked a little bit already about Armin and, and Erwin and the parallels that we get throughout this part of the season, but in this particular episode, they're working together to decipher you know, where the enemy is hiding. And I thought that whole thing was so cool. But then Erwin says that they need Armin's brain right now to come up with a plan. Um, This was all for the future of Armin becoming his successor. And Erwin says that Armin has proven himself. He's one of their greatest weapons and places him in charge of finding the, uh, of the the squad that's going to find the enemy inside of the walls. But I think all of this is possible foreshadowing to what Armin could do in the final parts of the final season. Because even what, with the parts that we do have for the final season, Armin has played a critical role. But Hanj is still the technical successor of the Scouts. So whether or mm-hmm. not Armin will actually take on that title, who knows what will happen with Hanj. I think there's probably something even bigger on the horizon for Armin that we still haven't seen yet, uh, some sort of plan or something that he's going to come up with um, for the, the climax, perhaps, of the story.
1: I think um, even, not, I know this is jumping a bit ahead, but I think when Aaron is arguing for Armin to be the one to be res- resurrected by Levi, um, he says the only one that who can lay waste, uh, it was in episode 55, Midnight Sun, the only one who can lay waste to the Titans, oh wait, sorry, the one who's going to save humanity isn't me or the commander, it's Armin. And so, yeah, I I feel like these are important statements to consider if Armin is indeed the one brain to circumvent or maybe complement what Eren is doing in the final season.
0: We talked about in our retrospective of season one of Attack on Titan that Armin is narrating the entire story. Um, Narrations throughout episodes, narrations in previews for next episodes. So it makes me wonder is this entire story Armin retelling the events of Eren and and the attack Titan and everything to somebody else? like is he the one passing this knowledge on to somebody else? Like I, I just think there's such a, a crucial I mean Armin has played a crucial role for sure. but is there something even bigger for him on the horizon that we have just not seen yet? I do have a question. I don't know if it's really a hint um but at the end of this episode we of course see the cart titan i believe for the first time behind the beast titan but we also see a row of titan transformation lights beyond erwin like where zeke is standing and i'm thinking to myself were those regular people till just a second ago when zeke probably transformed them because yes he can control titans but the titan they're the pure titans but they've already transformed so there would not be any reason for titan lights to show up on the horizon over by zeke unless he had forced some people to go there stand there and then transform them when it was convenient
1: no i'm sure that they had transported eldians from marley to aid aid in this mission um because I'm, I'm thinking of the moments from the first episode of the final season part one where they're on that zeppelin and then they have The Eldians that are parachuting down, and then Zeke cries out, does his roar, and then they turn into Titans. Um, So I'm sure they're enlisting, I don't know, maybe like their Eldian prisoners um, who are like, this is their execution basically by transforming into Titans. Uh, So yeah, I don't think it's like he rounded up all these Titans in the region. Like these are Eldians from Marley turned into Titans.
0: That's a tiny, tiny detail. That went right over my head the first time I watched it. It's not until I learned what I I know now that I can fully appreciate that small moment that could just easily go over your head. For episode 51, one question I have right off the bat is, since when do Titan nails grow on command when using hardening? Because you see Reiner using hardening as he's preparing to climb the wall, and his nails fucking grow. Is that that like a one-time thing?
1: I think it's probably built into the hardening ability. It was kind of gross, though. <laughs> but yeah, he needed it to climb the wall. So
0: yeah, that's true because Aaron does when he t- hardens strategically. It sounds really weird, but like he, when he's hardening his knuckles to fight, um, to Whoa. fight Reiner, mm. he like almost puts on like brass knuckles. They're like like yeah. guards for his knuckles. Um, but he can like do that on command. So yeah, maybe. Maybe he's hardening toenails, I don't know.
1: <laughs> and didn't he like use spikes in the final season to face off against the Warhammer Yeah, Titan? that's right. So yeah, maybe they, they can just manifest different shapes um, with their armor. I had a question, kind of related to Reiner's powers, is this new ability that Levi takes note of where he was able to transfer consciousness his body to avoid getting killed by Levi. Have we ever seen another instance of this power in the final season?
0: I was going to ask the exact same thing, and I don't think so. <laughs> the mm-hmm. only thing I I can guess that may come close is when Gabby blows Aaron's yeah. head off, and then Aaron's head lands in Zeke's hands, and that that activates the power. But in that case, it would have been the opposite of Reiner because if if Aaron put his consciousness in his body
1: Then he'd be dead. Yeah, and like his <laughs> head of. is
0: detached. Would that even have activated Zeke's powers? Maybe. Maybe mm-hmm. it would have. But I think that was more a timing thing, that right before Aaron's body shut down and actually died with his head severed, Zeke just happened to touch him.
1: Yeah. I was also thinking with the Warhammer Titan, how the user, it manifests that Titan from the bottom up but i don't think that's a consciousness thing that's just the way that the warhammer titan is designed
0: yeah i i agree um yeah I've, i don't recall seeing this i'll it's something we can keep an eye out for parts three and four of the final season but nothing else comes to mind we've already seen the cart titan but this is the first episode where the scouts are actually taking notice of the Card titan assuming that it's scouted for zeke whatnot we don't get much about the cart titan um throughout season three part two but we will find out plenty about her in the final season. So I think this is a big hint that there's another Titan out there on the Marley side of things. It can talk, it can transport shit, and it's uh, owned by one of the most... uh,
1: (laughs) Peak performance.
0: Popular, but yet unpopular (laughs) female characters in this show. I
1: think it's established that the Cart Titan was the one who relayed to Zeke, Bertolt, and Reiner that... The scouts were moving at night to retake Shiganshina. So.
0: We also get, I think, the first introduction of Flock. Again, a very quick moment um, in this particular episode, but all I can think of is, man, they have no idea what this little poop-haired shit face is going to do in the future. He may seem insignificant now, but he is going to play a huge role in the final season.
1: What a fuck boy, <laughs> <You're> a <laughs> flo- flock boy.
0: Uh, one quick note though about this episode, I'd have to call this out. It is so fucking badass when Reiner climbs the wall as the armored titan stands on top and everyone else is gone except for Erwin who's just standing there alone not that far off from Reiner and is completely unafraid he just like gives him the side eye and like doesn't even try to move doesn't flinch because Erwin knows that Reiner has has no time for him he has to decide between you know like killing the horses and chasing after Eren I'm like damn Erwin's a fucking badass
1: yeah, that was a great power move on Erwin's part. Like he don't give a fuck.
0: In episode fifty-two, earlier on in the episode we have a flashback to Reiner and Bertolt talking to Aaron um about like plugging the hole and Marco overhearing it. I think that's the start of this actual episode is the truth uh behind how Marco died. And this will come into play in the final season because of um the conver- or like this the the reveal Of that truth to John when John and Reiner start punching each other at the the campfire. Yeah. Yeah, so this has been a big mystery for quite some time. We get the answer to that mystery, but we never see the consequences of that or see the moment that the scouts find out that truth until pretty far into the final season. In that same scene, we have Reiner confronting Annie as he's telling her to take Marco's ODM gear, telling Annie, like, saying things like, this evil race and this filthy race, and this is what makes us warriors. And the entire time I was so focused on Annie being distraught having to do this to Marco that I didn't really think about the fact that Reiner kept calling them basically an entirely different people than what he is, which is Mm -hmm. weird because they're all Eldians. But now we know that all of this stems from the propaganda that Reiner, Annie, and Embertold were subjected to as people of Liberio.
1: And this contrasts with the way that Reiner talked about the citizens of Paradis when he was having dinner with his family back in Liberio. Um, he's not referring them really to, as, or to being an evil race. He's talking about them as normal human beings. And that's where the interesting duality of Reiner begins. Um, it's in, in one spot here, but then that completely changes when we see him in the final season.
0: And that entire flashback ends with Marco being left behind by the, the Marlian warriors. And he's screaming, why are you in such a hurry? We haven't even had the chance to talk this through. And that is a big piece of um, a big part of the philosophy that Armin has throughout the final season is what would what would happen what would be different if we could just talk as Eldians versus everyone else in the world what would be different if we could just talk this through
1: I think Armin laments about this later on in the episode about having no time to negotiate with the other side and we brought up the campfire scene in the final season, part two. Like that's a great example of this idea coming to fruition where everyone's, you know, they're setting their weapons down and just talking things through and they seem to reach a very mutual agreement. I mean, they have a united front against Aaron, but this is, this is what happens when you establish like civil dialogue, I guess.
0: When it flashes forward to present day, you've got Zeke and Reiner talking, and Zeke says to Reiner that he may have to give his Titan to another warrior. We can all assume that you know, upon first watch, that he's talking about you know Reiner being eaten by somebody else. But to say to another warrior, we haven't really established what that means yet, and we'll learn that. Um, I think it's it's briefly mentioned through Grisha's backstory that they established the warriors among the Eldians and Marley to fight for the country. Uh, But we won't understand the full impact of that until we start the final season. Similarly, I think right after that, Zeke says that their goal is to get the coordinate and put an end to this cursed history. We don't really truly understand the meaning of the word coordinate as well as what cursed history they're talking about. Even though it's mentioned in the Grisha episodes, we don't get the full effect of what cursed history truly means because it's very surface level in season three, part two.
1: I also wanted to note with, like, Armin starts negotiating with Bertolt before they resort to just fighting each other again. Um, Bertolt talks about the harsh truth of the reality of this world. And, you know, I think in the previous season, season two, uh, he was so conflicted about having to fight his former comrades, but he's, he's sort of come to a reconciliation here or uh, a, a sort of like he's accepted the fact that, yes, these are his comrades, but he still has to kill them because that's just how it is. And one quote that I pulled from Bertholdt in this moment is he says, nobody's in the wrong. There's nothing we can do because the world's just that cruel.
0: CGI colossal titan in <laughs> yeah, the yeah. game.
1: <laughs> yeah, the thing you brought up earlier, but uh, the idea of a cruel world comes up a lot, especially in this core. I think Erwin mentions it in his his final charge against the beast titan. And this is I think like this is what Eren's trying to fight against. Again, it's through very sinister means by way of the rumbling, but in a way trying to get rid of a cruel world where people are just looking at each other as devils rather than like putting aside those differences and living in true harmony
0: yeah to piggyback off of that like bertold is saying that they're precious comrades but he also has to kill them i think he says like he doesn't think that they're evil and he knows they didn't do anything wrong but they have to die and we're all left as the viewers wondering well why do they have to die Mm -hmm. it's It's so surface level that we know that there's something else going on here. But what that something else is, we don't find out until the final season. We get the hints through the Grisha um, episodes that there's something bad that Eldians did. But we don't realize the severity of the situation for the Warriors, which is, they have to die. The people of Paradise have to die in order for Bertolt, Annie, Reiner, etc., all of their families to be spared over in Marley because if they fail this mission, their families could be killed. And that's why they are so hard pressed to continue through this mission, the Marley mission, despite knowing that maybe the people of Paradise aren't actually so bad after all. Episode 53. Not a hint, but I got to ask the question. Connie makes like some sort of joke or pun about eavesdropping and then John tells Sasha to hit him. Is that like a like a play on words?
1: <laughs> yes. Um I know I think we're thinking of eavesdropping as like listening in on th- something. I think the context of this I'm I'm reading a post on Reddit about this pun. I think or er, er, Connie's referring to Eaves, like as in an eave, uh, what would be a like a roof dropping, so like because eaves are dropping with the colossal titan hurling everything that's in his path. Oh,
0: like the okay, so pieces of houses are flying. Okay, yes, I see. Uh,
1: I think like the Japanese translation is more of how certain characters are pronounced in the Japanese language, um, referring to Yega. More so in a sense. I I don't know really how the pun works, but if anyone wants to read this explanation, you can post this um, in the Discord uh, so you can piece it together and maybe learn something about Japanese puns. I don't know.
0: We get some hints towards the capabilities of both Armin and John in this episode where Armin asks John to take his place because he's better suited to lead, but then John goes back to Armin and says that he may be better at reading situations, but Armin is better at coming up with plans. And we see John and Armin shine a lot in the final season. Um John usually is with coming up with like quick plans on how to execute ver- various Battle tactics um, versus Armin's more strategic, long-term plans on how to stop the enemy or put the enemy in a a difficult place or how to survive a certain situation. So this is this is more of that foreshadowing to what Armin will take on, but also what John will take on. And then towards the I think the end of the episode or maybe the middle of the episode, you've got um, the new recruits just beyond the wall as. The Beast Titan is flinging rocks at them, freaking out, and then Marlo yells at Flock, and starts, uh, who starts bitching and whining and giving up and crying, as he usually does. And he says that he actually believed he could be someone who could make a difference, but feels it's all meaningless now. Well, he had a quick change of heart in the four-year time skip because now Flock's a fucking pain in the ass. Who wants to be the leader? Yeah, the leader (laughs) of the Jaegerists by any means necessary. So, uh, if anything, Flock has had some pretty impressive character development, even if that development made him more annoying.
1: The way I see it is like Flock is a a lost puppy dog in this core, and then. Aaron throws him a bone in the final season as being part of the Jaegerist that like now he finally has an objective he can live or like he can stand behind. Um, Yeah,
0: maybe it was the the feeling of meaninglessness that caused him to be so useless in season three, part two. But Aaron giving him meaning as you just shared is what allowed him to blossom and shine. Again, even if that is him being a fucking annoying character.
1: (laughs) One thing that I noted earlier in the episode when the Beast Titan starts hurling boulders at the scouts inside of Wall Maria is he says, I'm going for a perfect game. And I thought this was interesting because the Beast Titan is using a colloquialism that you commonly hear when people are talking about baseball. But we see in this world of parodies that they don't talk about like something as modern day as the sport of baseball. I I took this as a hint about there's more going on to this world than we know, because obviously we find out that there's Marley and they live in a more modernized society. And this is what Zeke's referring to when he's talking about a perfect game.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. Isayama, I don't think would ever, at least for Attack on Titan, would ever drop like common themes in a world like this because it would definitely break the immersion. So he wouldn't just put a baseball reference in there for the sake of a baseball reference. Now, I know he has modeled some of his Titans off of people like Freddie Mercury and all that mm-hmm. stuff, but that's so subtle that it really doesn't break anything. Here's an exa- like a, a one-for-one reference to baseball. If that wasn't a part of the story somewhere, that would feel extremely out of place and like a bad choice. But you're right. It is hinting that there is such thing as sporting events in the outside world that we have not seen at all in parodies
1: and there's even clues in this as to how the beast titan moves because he's throwing the boulders like a baseball pitcher he's not just you know like a a wild animal that's (laughs) like an actual beast that's just hurling things for the sake of hurling things there's a there's a strategy behind it he's he's doing the kick and then he's doing the throw um so yeah, another hint—a subtle hint to the actual modernity of the world.
0: And to add to that, when he hurls the barrel that Berthold is holding or is hiding out in, I'm surprised Berthold didn't pass out from the g forces of being thrown by the beast Titan. There's no way that could have been comfortable, but maybe it's his uh, his Titan wielding stamina keeping him awake.
1: <laughs> yeah, the the warrior training—I'll chalk it up to that.
0: In episode 54, we have Zeke dropping major bombs, not just rocks, but major bombs, saying that uh, the people are so pitiful. The, the soldiers rushing him are so pitiful because King Rice has done this to them, this being wiping their memories and making them know nothing of history. And so now they're charging toward what he sees a meaningless death because they don't understand the full context of why everything is happening. There's the flashback as well to uh, Reiner warning Zeke about Levi, and of course that leads to (laughs) the best moment of the season, but this is also a great hint because this is not the only showdown that we're going to get between Zeke and Levi.
1: Yeah, this reminds me of, here's a Dark Knight reference for you. In the Dark Knight, everyone talks about Batman as this mysterious creature um, who like you say his name and like he'll appear and that's how dangerous it is i like how this exchange between reiner and zeke is like levi ackerman is the name that strikes fear into marley and hearts especially like zeke's heart too um so i, I love this build-up and then of course you get the the sakuga of the actual battle sequence
0: There's also multiple points where Levi recalls his promise that he made just moments ago to Erwin saying he's going to kill a Beast Titan no matter what. And in the final season, we don't know Zeke's current whereabouts, but we also haven't seen him die. So... As we know in a lot of TV and movie um, media, that if you don't see someone die, there's a good chance they could still be alive. Sometimes when you do see them die, they can somehow return to the story. So if Zeke is still alive out there, what will become of him at the end? Will Levi have his poetic moment of keeping that promise to Erwin by killing Zeke, or will... Something else happened there to Zeke, um, and then maybe Levi reflects on this promise again, but the fact that Levi mentioned it multiple times throughout season three part two, and how heavy it weighed on him that he couldn't keep that promise, it is at least a motivation for him to keep being a pain in zeke's ass
1: i've I've always said or mentioned the imagery of since. Aaron is using Zeke in his founding titan form that Zeke's just dangling on one of Aaron's ribs (laughs) and so like I'm thinking now like what if Levi does end up killing Zeke but it's more of a mercy kill because like Zeke doesn't want to be subjected to what Aaron's doing as the founding titan.
0: Flock at the end of the big battle finds himself Pretty much the only one left alive and, and questions why he was the only one to survive. And it makes me wonder. I'm asking
1: myself my, the same thing.
0: <laughs> it makes me wonder if part of the reason he's so like in everyone's faces. He's so angry. um, He's so hellbent on, you know, changing the world. Does he have survivor's guilt? I mean, he must have survivor's guilt to oh. a certain degree. Mm-hmm. So maybe he's just so upset at how everything panned out that he survived, that he was... You know, sitting in a a field of his dead comrades' bodies, that he just wants to see something different there. So maybe a moment of, um, you know, so like some sympathy for what Flock had to go through, but he still whines a lot. <laughs> Armin also drops a couple of interesting things that I didn't really think about, at least maybe didn't recall from this part of the story. He says that Aaron could only transform three times before wearing himself out. And now I'm thinking, well, shit, now it seems like he can transform a hundred million times and keep going. Like it's no (laughs) issue. (laughs) I think we should go back if we ever rewatch the final season and count how many times in a row he can transform in some of these battles. But then Armin also says that Bertolt is getting skinnier as he's approaching the wall because of all the energy it takes to move and sustain the Colossal Titan. We haven't Seen Armin do much of anything in his colossal Titan form, other than demolish that one port. Uh, I think in the beginning of the final season,
1: or it's when uh, the Attack Titan was destroying Liberio. Like, yeah, that's where was not Armin
0: it, in that port, and he yeah transformed to destroy the port. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, like, is there something else that Armin's going to do in his colossal Titan form? And will this come into play of like the limited amount of energy that he has to move as the colossal titan?
1: I think Armin would be smarter than that like he I think he will or he would ascertain the strengths and weaknesses of the colossal titan form to utilize it in a way that's effective for him if he ever has to like come into battle against Eren or something. He'd probably do whatever
0: he could to not have to transform into the Colossal Titan. It is tough that he ends up getting the most destructive Titan when that is the opposite of the type of person he is.
1: I had a question you know, after like Armin gets roasted, or I think as Armin's getting roasted, and then the other squad that's led by Jean is trying to incapacitate Reiner by opening his mouth, but then Sasha misses, of course, and then she gets injured. How did Hanj know that they were trying to open up uh, Reiner's mouth if she I, did, wasn't I don't aware. know. Because yeah. she
0: was like, she disappeared. Didn't her whole squad disappear when he transformed into the Colossal Titans? They were wondering, where is Hanj? His yeah. Hanj's squad was the squad that was over by him. Maybe she saw them in the distance and saw what they were trying to do.
1: Maybe. I mean, her, I'm sure her no.
0: goal would be to get back to either Levi's squad or Ar- Armin's squad. I mean, they're technically Levi's squad, aren't they? I don't know. Yeah, they're all
1: <laughs> part of Levi's squad. So, yeah, I mean, maybe just Han's just smart enough to know what's going on. Um, but going back to the Colossal Titan, Bertholdt's defeat, I love that when it's revealed, like, Eren one, has one-upped, or Eren and Armin have one-upped Bertholdt by forcing this battle of attrition, that once we see Armin, like, lose consciousness and he's out of the game, Eren obviously flies up to the Colossal Titans nape, and you don't hear anything. It's a very muffled noise as you see the Colossal Titan fall. I think that just makes the scene more epic. Like yes, it would have been awesome to hear that sound, but just for it to like just for the absence of sound to be there really puts you into the moment and and makes you think how significant this is. And I know this isn't a, a sort of foreshadowing at all, but it reminds me of In the final season, part two, when Shadis and Magath take over that ship and uh, make it like self-destruct basically, so that the Jaegers can't use it to chase the rest of Levi's squad, how that moment too, you don't hear anything. You don't hear the ship exploding. There's just music behind it. And it, it just makes you really revel in the moment itself.
0: In episode 55, pretty soon after that episode starts, we have Zeke and Aaron meeting for the first time. And Zeke is shocked when he says that Aaron doesn't look like their dad at all. Because I think Aaron looks more like Carla. And then he says that they're both victims of Aaron's dad or your dad. And he says that someday he'll come back to rescue him, but gives no hints that they're related. This obviously gets revealed in a few episodes when uh, they find that picture of Zeke and Grisha, and Grisha reveals everything in those books. But it's just interesting that Zeke didn't take that opportunity to, I don't know, fucking mind-blow Aaron by saying, by the way, I'm your brother or half-brother.
1: The timing wasn't right. <laughs> it was, He didn't feel it was the right moment.
0: Yeah, you know, his arms were chopped off and all of this stuff. <laughs> yeah,
1: he had other things to deal with.
0: When the group is deciding or arguing between saving Erwin and Armin, Levi says that he'll use the injection on Erwin. And this is super small, but Eren stands up and gets right next to Levi and kind of glares at him and gets in his face um, because he's he just can't accept the fact that Levi is going to save Erwin over Armin. And we know that Levi is short and that the scouts are getting taller as they get older. But in this moment, if you pause it, Eren looks distinct distinctly taller than Levi like he's almost like uh, towering over Levi and I kind of find this to be maybe a, a bit of foreshadowing to Aaron growing out of control and Levi being one of the only people who knows he can keep Aaron in check um, and that's why Aaron's been assigned to him so I think it just shows like Levi doing something that Aaron doesn't agree with Aaron will go and do his own thing And that's very much Mm. what we see happening at the start of the final season. When Erwin is discovered to still be alive, I find it ironic that Flock was the one that rescued him. But then he clarifies and says that the reason he rescued him was because he wanted to keep him alive because dying would be too easy for him. That would be the easy way out for Erwin. And he wants him to live in this hell. And he wants... um, he wants him to continue on so that he can suffer, but also recognizes that the only type of person who can save humanity is a devil like Erwin. But mm-hmm. then that makes me think about Flock's loyalty to Aaron in the final season. Does Flock also see Aaron Yeager as a devil who's able to, quote unquote, save humanity? And that's why he's so rallied up behind him?
1: Yeah, I can see that. I, I feel like like flock says the only one who can lay waste to the titans is a devil and that just reinforces the idea of what aaron has become and you know like flock being <laughs> the kind of little naive boy that i see him as he flocks over to the Jaegerist side because now he's some like he's placed his trust in aaron to lay waste to the titans as he had hoped to do in this, I guess, initial battle as a as a newbie scout.
0: And I mean, in that moment too, Levi says that Erwin had no choice. Like he had to become a devil in order to save humanity. But now that he's finally free from this hell, he doesn't want to drag him back in by choosing Erwin over Armin. Plus, you know, all the talk about Armin becoming um, the one who can save humanity versus Eren or Erwin. Um, and then... I also wonder, because I, I don't know, I was thinking about this after we watched this episode. There's nothing that inherently gives me these vibes or makes me think that this was like a piece of foreshadowing. This is purely my own head cannon, I guess you could say. But do you think part of the reason that Levi chose Armin was to appease Aaron and to keep him on their side? Because he always knows that Aaron is a loose cannon. And again, he's going to do whatever he wants, even if people try to stop him. So can you? I just I wonder if Levi was thinking, what will Aaron do if I don't save Armin? Hmm. He's got the attack Titan. He's got the founding Titan. There's probably got to be a small part of Levi and the scouts in general that feel like they need to stay on Aaron's good side in order to get him to stay aligned to what they want.
1: I never really thought about that angle. I just feel like I I feel like Levi, like he could care less about aaron acting out because he knows that he has he could just kill him (laughs) right he has control over him but man maybe there is that slight tinge of fear about aaron snapping like of course yeah he has all of these titan powers in him and like we we obviously see what happens when aaron does become a loose cannon um in the final season uh so yeah that that is definitely a possibility i think again what we're seeing is Levi wearing the options about whose dream between Erwin's and Armin's is more noble for the greater good. But, yeah, it's an interesting point.
0: Yeah, like I said, there's nothing that I caught in the episode that would lead me to believe like that was supposed to be a takeaway. That was just my own theory. Like, I can only imagine what's going through these characters' heads. And the last piece of irony, I guess if that's the right way to use that term, um, with Flock in this episode is that he was the one to carry Aaron away from the group when uh, Levi told everyone, leave because I'm about to turn Armin into a pure titan. You're going to get caught in the the crossfire. Um, So yeah, is that foreshadowing for Flock carrying Aaron away from the group um, as he supports the Jaegerist side of things?
1: Mm, Good point. This isn't really foreshadowing, but I love how it's revealed. Like, we see Bertolt coming back to consciousness and then the smoke rising from whichever character Levi turned uh, into a titan. And no one says it outright. Like, Levi doesn't say outright, I changed Armin into a titan. You can just tell by the titan form. He's got an
0: ugly-ass titan form. (laughs) It's really ugly.
1: (laughs) No, but I kind of like that, that... little bit of storytelling technique like you you don't have to verbally say it like we get to see it by the titan's face
0: yeah i I like that as well um it's great when you're not spoon-fed something like that you get to you get to experience it through the moments that are happening in episode 56 uh the first piece of info they discover from grisha is confirmation that life exists outside the walls just as Erwin and his father suspected, and the floodgates open for the next few episodes where we get basically a huge information dump. Um, there is the post credit scene where we get our first proper glimpse at Marley. I know there was emir's uh flashbacks or her backstory where you kind of got a sense that maybe it was in a different place because the soldiers had guns and they had different outfits that we have never seen before but i would call this our first real introduction or soft introduction to marley and of course grisha grisha's mother tells him he must never leave the walls and that's kind of where the episode ends
1: and there's obvious undertones overtones whichever is the right phrase with like nazi germany and themes of fascism here Uh, because as we know through history uh, jews had been sequestered in germany and and parts of europe into these or ghettos Um, so i think that's where isayama is taking this imagery which i think kind of fits hand in hand with what we see of parodies because like there's there's a stark contrast between how parodies looks where it's more of like a german anglo-saxon colonial society and then we see marley and it's more of that industrial look that modern industrial society so i kind of like that almost continuity between different timelines where i guess using germany as the inspiration for this setting and like you said before establishing that there is a big technological divide between Paradise and the rest of the world a couple other things I wanted to note from this episode Um, with this scene in Marley I think as they're venturing as Grisha and Faye are venturing outside the walls he bumps into someone and this this character has glasses on and it makes me think if he bumped into Dr. Ksavar the or Zeke's mentor and the previous wielder of the beast titan I think we see him in the next episode too, where Zeke points or like Zeke accuses his parents of being restorationists and Dr. Kassavra's like kneeling next to him. So I wonder if that's just like a little cameo that was inserted uh, for his character. And then earlier in this episode, uh, I, I forget who mentions this, but there's only nine members left of the scout regiment after this battle which are Levi, Aaron, Mikasa, Armin, Sasha, Connie, John, Hanj, and Flock. I was wondering, is this an allusion to the nine warrior titan powers?
0: Ooh, could be. Nine is a very important number in Attack mm-hmm. on Titan. All right, deep breath, because now we're getting into some heavy shit. This is all the information we have been waiting for Um, and I'm a little out of breath as it is being seven months pregnant but we can do this let's go through (laughs) the Grisha episode starting with episode 57 this was key it told us everything while actually creating more questions than it answered I feel like right off the bat we're getting terms like Eldians what are Eldians we're getting liberio what is it internment camp
1: Liberio internment zone.
0: What is Liberio? Um, we get the officer beating up Grisha, um, who's Kruger, the owl. But it's like, why is this guy so important? And as as we mentioned earlier, a lot of these things, I, I see about fifty percent of these things, these questions that come up in these episodes get answered at some point before the end of season three, part two. But it still has all of these other pieces of information that are dropped but not fully explained they talk about the sins that their ancestors committed yes they briefly talk about this but we don't fully understand this context and what these sins were and why they are so uh critical to the world hating Parodies and eldians until we deep dive into um emir's backstory in the final season referring and then, to
1: the emir the founder yes right? yeah mm. the
0: founder and they talk about Marley and they, they do a decent job of explaining what Marley is, that it is another country that, um, you know, is right next to the fucking island of parodies. But, you know, you still kind of wonder, like, what truly is Marley and, and what scale are we talking about in terms of an entire country? We get the first pepperings of Emir Fritz, the first titan, and then the origin of the nine titans. So it's our first time finding out there are nine titans, um, and then that there was the formation of the Eldian Empire, uh, and that the Eldians fled to Marley. But again, it's all surface level. It's not a lot of detail, so you just kind of have to guess what is really at play here.
1: Not only that, but understanding what we see in the final season, especially with Emir's backstory Is how much truth there is to this story, because you you could think that obviously like with what Krisha's father's presenting him is like he says that that's the truth, but what if that's just Eldian propaganda? And then on the on the flip side, like like Marley's been instilling in the Eldians like that they are like spawns of the devil, like there's that sort of propaganda, and so it's here it's like trying to wrestle the truth out of these two different perspectives and i'm especially thinking about like it says emir had a contract with the devil of all earth we, we see that in the final season that there was no devil she just happened to fall into this lake and then uh made contact with i think it was the, the source of all living organisms or something
0: or some alien as some people <laughs> suspected <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> We learn about Dinah Fritz, the descend Fritz, whatever I don't know. Why I said that weird. Fritz. Fritz, the descendant of the royal family, and like we've already gotten, you know, hints and and some talk about royal blood and what it can do. But there's so much more to be discovered um, in the final season. We see an image of Wall Titans making the wall, as well as uh, learn about a warning from King Fritz. Um, 80 100 years ago that the wall titans would flatten the world these are all hints to the rumbling which that term has not been used yet um, and then we see that a lot of the restorationists who get turned into pure titans are the titans we saw earlier in the show confirming that mm-hmm. some of these titans have been around for a really really long time and that they are all there outside of the walls of parodies because they were dropped there by the people of marley
1: this is like a blink-and-you'll-miss-it um, moment where... I think this was in the, Gre- or in the Jaeger household. You see a poster that resembles the one at the end of the Season 2 ED where it's the eight warrior titans and it pans up to the founding titan. In the ED, I think her face was scratched out, but now you get to see it in its entirety.
0: They also use the term subjects of Emir which we now know is the same as Eldians. But back then, I'm like, is that different? Is a subject of Emir different than Eldians? Um, and why are there two terms for, you know, what is essentially the same group of people? This isn't really a, well, actually, this kind of is a hint. I'll, I'll call it a hint. Um, a little bit further back in the episode, Grisha yells at his dad when his dad is saying, like, oh, all this shit happened. Um, like, your sister's gone now because of, you know you and because of our sins and grisha yells saying that he and his sister didn't do anything like what their ancestors had done they didn't commit some grave sin all they were doing was walking around walking around outside the wall and this makes me think of the exact same conversation that unfolds between gabby and what's her face the blonde chick kaya kaya that is the exact same logic that Kai uses against Gabby when Gabby's saying, Your people are evil. You committed these sins. And she's like, I didn't do anything. My mom, who got eaten, didn't do anything. Um, so that's a theme that will come back to us in the final season.
1: A couple other interesting things I pulled from this episode. Uh, episode 57 is titled That Day. Uh, this actually shares the same English title of the second episode of the anime um which obviously it's also called that day but it's it's referring to two particular moments in that first episode or technically the second episode it's referring to the fall of Shiganshina and I, I believe in this one that day it's referring to maybe with the scouts opening the basement them learning the truth of the world or in Grisha's case it could be like the day that he, he learned about Faye's morbid fate. Like, what, what would you interpret that day as meaning in this episode?
0: I think similarly. I, I think that day that something critical happened to alter to alter the fate of humanity. So like that day that the walls were attacked and basically Aaron's story began... And then that day in season three, part two, where Grisha's sister was killed, he ventured outside the wall Mm -hmm. and Grisha's story began.
1: Yeah. The other thing that I noted is when we see Zeke as a child in his bedroom, Um, Grisha and Dinah are are intending to use him as their last hope uh, for the restorationist. Um, He's playing with a toy, but it's not just any toy. It's a toy that resembles his Beast Titan form. Uh, and if you also notice on the, on the floor strewn about in front of him, there are two toy soldiers and a horse. And I think this is a, a, a kind of nod to the battle that we just saw in Shiganshina where the Beast Titan was facing off against the remnants of the scout regiment and the horses that they were charging on.
0: And we can share a screenshot of that in the Discord. So if you're not a member of the Discord, the link to join is in the episode description. In the midst of all these flashbacks, or I guess in the midst of all the backstory for Grisha, we do see Aaron wake up from what is seemingly like a bad dream where he saw his father's memories. We also see Mikasa's bedhead and Aaron just completely unfazed by it because they probably, he probably saw it enough when they lived together. Um, but I... I know that they've talked about inheriting memories before in Attack on Titan, but here we're seeing it in a more like intimate way. We're actually seeing Eren discover things, like slowly unlocking memories. Um, because while we knew that memories do get inherited between Titan wielders, we never saw how it happened or how quickly it would happen. So I think this is kind of the, our first foray into that as well as what'll happen in the next episode or two episodes or whatever. The last episode of, of this part um, when Aaron kisses Historia's hand in episode 58, we continue with this information dump where we learn pretty early on that uh, actually this is the first time we're learning this piece of information, but it is really, really important that there is a 13 year contract, which they call the curse of Emir, And if, uh, so within 13 years, a Titan wielder will die because that's how long Emir lasted with her Titan powers. And if an individual dies without passing on their Titan powers, some random ass Eldian baby gets it, I guess. And then Aaron also mentions paths that... Paths is like the single coordinate through which m- both memories and Titan abilities are passed through. So again, we're still unfolding this idea of inheriting memories from past Titan wielders, but then also getting confirmation of the ways that um, Titan powers can be passed on between Eldian individuals.
1: So the coordinate here is the founding Titan itself. And then Paths is that realm that we saw Emir in in Season 2 and that we see in the final season.
0: Yeah, and we, again, it's a brief mention of paths. It's We've been hearing this term coordinate, but we haven't gotten a lot of information about it. So this is just pepperings of information that we're going to get Full blown explanations for in the final season, as well as those great memes about Aaron dragging everybody into paths and some of them being <laughs> yeah. like half naked around the know, toilet. Yeah, around yeah. the toilet.
1: <laughs> those are great. Before this moment, I wanted to mention um, that Kruger says something about because obviously he is a mole in the Marlian military, and he had to forge his identity. Uh, as a Marlin instead of as a, truly as an Eldian and that uh, he he kind of talks about how he had to kill his brethren by sending them to the wall and injecting them with the titan serum in order to conceal his identity and like he does all of this for the sake of his mission uh, it reminds me of a line that Armin had said back in season one about someone who can throw away their humanity in order to defeat monsters and I kind of find this as a, a parallel t- with what Aaron is doing as the founding titan in the final season is that like he he ha- kind of in a way has to conceal I don't I guess not conceal his identity but take on a new identity as enemy number 1 in the world for the sake of what I'm assuming is a righteous mission to save humanity.
0: Well, do you think that Kruger threw away his humanity? in order to do that because of his own will or because it's Eren's will through the attack Titan. Because similarly in this episode, Kruger tells Grisha to stand up and tatakae. I think this might be one of the first instances of us hearing tatakae. Um, but is that actually Kruger using that term of his own free will, tatakai, you know, mm-hmm. fight, or is that Aaron's will telling him to tell Grisha to keep fighting? Because we all know what Aaron tells Grisha in the final season during the memory scenes.
1: Yeah, speaking of which, there's another thing that Kruger says to Grisha in the, mem- in the memories that Aaron's recalling. He says, this is a story that you began, is it not? This is the exact same phrase that Aaron says to Grisha in the memory of him taking the Founding Titan power that sets him off. So yeah, maybe Kruger is being influenced by Aaron's will in these memories between him and Grisha.
0: And that is where, uh, in that same conversation where Kruger says the Attack Titan has always and will always fight towards freedom. Again, whether that's because of Aaron's will or not, we're not entirely sure, but we can assume. But uh, one piece of uh, dialogue throughout this exchange that almost seems the opposite of that is when Kruger says that Grisha, that he chose Grisha for this part of the mission because Grisha, way back in the day, broke the rules, and went outside the walls. This is Grisha doing that of his own will because he didn't He didn't inherit the Attack Titan powers by that point. But it's interesting, you know, like father, like son, that Eren also wanted to go beyond the walls by becoming a scout so he could venture out there and see the world.
1: That's what signaled Grisha to say to him in Episode 1, like, when I come back, I will show you the secrets of the basement, right?
0: I think so. Yeah, because Grisha it, again, it's his son, right? Like he, he's like father like son. Grisha probably sat there thinking, "Well, shit. I had the strong desire to go outside the walls, and nothing could stop me. Nothing is going to stop my son either. So I might as well just appease it and give him the information before he does venture outside
1: the walls." Mhm. I think we have to also take note of the title of this episode, Attack Titan. Or in Japanese, it's called Shingeki no Kyojin.
0: So meta.
1: Yeah, because that's the actual title for this anime in Japan, Shingeki no Kyojin. So uh, very, very pivotal episode as such. And this is kind of tied into, like we hear Eren say Attack Titan or Shingeki no Kyojin when he reflects on the memory of Kruger telling Grisha about the powers of the Attack Titan. It's just funny because... When we go back to present day, it's Hanj who notices that Eren's talking to himself and saying the attack titan. Because she did the exact same thing uh, in the final season, was it part two?
0: Oh, when he's staring at himself in the mirror and saying Tatakaya yeah. she's like, What's <laughs> wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's just like Hanj is always there catching Aaron doing these things. And I think it's just <laughs> hilarious. Another thing I caught, um I think when Aaron's talking about the thirteen-year curse, the curse of Emir, uh, it's if you notice at the desk next to Aaron, Armin is writing down what Aaron's saying. I think that furthers the theory that Armin is the one who is recalling the events of this entire series. Oh
0: shit! I didn't even think about that. I thought he was writing a report.
1: <laughs> I'm pretty sure he was writing down everything that Aaron was saying.
0: Oh my god! Armin is the storyteller for real. I think uh, this is also the episode where Emir's letter gets delivered to Historia, mm-hmm. and when Historia touches the letter, I'm guessing she's touching—I don't know—maybe Emir's like leftover skin cells or something. <laughs> <laughs> so it activates uh, her royal blood, and she sees imagery of Emir's life, including confirmation of what happens to her because she's tied up. Very similarly to how um, people are tied up in the that was that titan cave that the the Rice family yeah, used the, the
1: underground chapel the same way that Aaron was tied up
0: yeah so it's it's probably Emir um you know getting ready to pass on her titan powers to a marlian warrior who we all know is Porco i don't think Porco's actually in that image but we can assume that they were preparing Porco to eat her
1: there's someone standing on the ground below Emir but we, it's only their back. We yeah. We never see whose face it is. Maybe
0: it was Porco then.
1: I would i would assume just like a, a Marlian official that's overseeing the transfer of power.
0: And it, you know what? That's probably right. It is probably just like a Marlian official. But the idea is us seeing their uniform confirms this is happening outside of parodies. Right. We also get a quick flashback back to when Aaron was like yelling at Emir, um, when Bear told him Reiner had kidnapped the two of them, and he kept asking, "Like, who is the enemy? Then, who is the enemy? Just fucking tell me." And the way that they aligned, Hanj speaking with Emir speaking in the flashback was really great because Emir was about to say that the enemy is the rest of the world. But that's when Berthold or uh, Reiner chime in and stop her from saying it. But in this moment, with Hanj's speech overlaid on top of that, Hanj completes the sentence that Emir wanted to say the whole time, that the enemy for Parodies is the rest of the world.
1: Okay, that makes sense, because I was trying to figure out what was Emir trying to say yeah. back in that episode. <laughs> but yeah, it's Hanju who completes the line.
0: Hanj also says something that, and I don't know if this is a hint, but I want to call this out because I never really gave this much thought, um, but it makes total sense. She implies that it's actually ideal that the founding titan and the royal blood are kept separate so that the founding titan wielder isn't bound by the first king's vow to renounce war. And we see a flashback of, oh my God, what is her name? <laughs> King Rice's daughter that had the founding titan
1: oh. or not? Uh,
0: whatever, the rice girl. The one that would visit- Frida. Frida. We see Frida crying because she, what Hunt is implying is that she had the founding titan power, didn't want to continue this cycle, but was bound by this vow to renounce war. So she couldn't do anything about it. She couldn't control the power in the way that she wanted. But now with the founding titan in Aaron's hands, but he also doesn't have royal blood, they can use that to their advantage and get around that vow.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. that's what gets Aaron thinking.
0: Yes, because then Aaron gets really worried that the government may turn Historia into a pure titan in order to activate the founding titan powers because of what happened in the last season? Season two. Yeah, where he punched Dina's pure titan power and activated the founding titan abilities. But he's thinking that the only way to activate it is by touching a pure titan of royal blood. He won't realize until the next episode, the final episode of of this core, uh, two things when he touches Historia. One, as we know, it unlocks the rest of his inherited memories. And from that moment on, he becomes emo Aaron. But two, I think that when he touches Historia and that activation happens, he probably realizes that it's not touching a pure titan of royal blood. It's touching someone of royal blood in any form, whether they're mm-hmm. a human, a pure titan, or another titan wielder, because Zeke is another titan wielder um, who has royal blood.
1: So even though Historia doesn't have titan powers, the fact that she is of royal blood is why she was able to see the memories of Emir in that letter?
0: That is my assumption, yeah. Okay. I, I think so. <laughs> I don't know what else it could be. And the episode wraps up with uh, another flashback of Grisha and the owl and they're preparing to turn Grisha into a pure Titan to pass on the tact Titan power. Grisha asks if he'll just forget everything when he becomes a Titan because memories are always fuzzy in the moments leading up to when they change into a pure Titan.
1: How does he know this? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's a good question. Maybe through the Restorationists? I actually don't know.
1: Well, Is that a, is that is a that plot a, hole? <laughs> Isayama forgot? or. <laughs>
0: Well, either way, somehow he knows that his memories will be fuzzy and he may not recall everything that he and Kruger had just talked about. But then Kruger says someone else later on might see it or might remember it, which I think he's meaning Aaron or other Attack Titan wielders will be able to see it through the inherited memories. And then Kruger Kruger goes on to say that crazy line, one of the lines that to me was like so like wild. He says that. Grisha needs to do all these things in order to save Mikasa, Armin, and everyone else.
1: Mind blown.
0: Yeah. And then Grisha's like, who the fuck are they? And he's like, I don't know, but uh, I know they need to be saved. I'm not really sure who these memories are (laughs) or who they belong to. Yeah. He's like, I don't know what the fuck I'm saying, but I just, I know that I need to say it to you. And again, this moment to me was wild when I first watched it. I had no fucking clue what it meant, but I was like, holy shit, how is this guy from the past able to talk about Mikasa and Armin who haven't even been born yet? So now we know it's because Kruger was seeing Aaron's future memory. Mm-hmm. But I i just remember the feeling I got when that happened. It was almost as epic as when Reiner just fucking told Aaron <laughs> that he was the, yeah. the armored titan and Bertolt was the colossal titan. It was on par with that.
1: Yeah, that was such a huge what the fuck moment when we first watched it. Like I was taken aback. Like I thought this doesn't sound right. Like it's throwing the story in a an entirely different direction already from the direct different direction it was going but i i love that it, it, there's context to this as we see in the final season when aaron and zeke enter paths
0: and finally episode 59 we have uh all the scouts gathered in that hall for the recognition ceremony or award ceremony whatever and we have flock telling hitch that yeah, Marlo was brave and all that, but in the end he probably regretted being there. And then he tells Armin that Erwin should have been the one who was saved. And then Flock and Aaron Fuck start getting into you. Yeah, they start getting into an argument. But for me the takeaway here is that it's interesting that Flock and Aaron are arguing with each other when they'll eventually well, Flock will side with Aaron in the final season. I wouldn't say Aaron's necessarily siding with Flock. So to, I think Flock being so outspoken here seems like just an annoying character trait of his, but that'll actually come into play in the final season with how outspoken he becomes as the leader of the Yeagerists.
1: Yeah, like he grew some balls or something. Um,
0: well, it's also interesting, too. So I'm just like thinking more about Flock because he calls Erwin a devil, like only a a devil can do these things to save humanity. Mm -hmm. And Erwin called himself a liar, like someone who can rally troops to go on a suicide mission, has to be like the best con man, the best liar. But then you have Flock taking on a very similar position as Erwin in the final season, where he is rallying the Jaegerists. Even Jaegerists who are questioning what's going on with Eren or questioning why they have to fight their own brethren you have Flock standing there rallying the troops and beating up Shadis and all this crazy stuff. So it's interesting how Flock had has become what he hated in Season 3, Part 2.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's character development, but development not going the right way, I suppose.
0: There's a moment where Aaron tells Armin on the other side of the wall, um, freedom is... But then the, the sentence kind of cuts off and he sees a memory of Kruger, uh, a memory that I think that belonged to Kruger that shows Grisha's sister dead in the water with those mm-hmm. dogs surrounding her. And the fact that it cut him off, as he's saying, on the other side of the wall, freedom is, maybe he's going to say, like, freedom is there. That's where we're going to attain freedom. Um, and I think this is signaling that, yes, Freedom is beyond the walls, but that's not the only thing beyond the walls. There's also death and destruction and the horrible fates that, you know, awaits some of the OG scouts.
1: I took it as like, there is no freedom beyond the walls.
0: Oh, okay. That's interesting.
1: Right. Because that's ultimately what Aaron's fighting for is true freedom. Right. Um, because he, I think he cuts off the sentence because he realizes. That there is another enemy that they have to fight. Like they might have, no pun intended, hurtled over this wall of of finding out the truth, but the truth isn't like all rainbows and butterflies. Like they have to continue fighting. And I think that's what's like Aaron's becoming to realize in this moment.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, He can't even finish the sentence because he doesn't feel it as much as he used to.
1: Plus, he says during the ceremony where they're getting awarded their their bolo ties or whatever. (laughs) um, I don't know why, why that's used as their medals. But he says, what did we find in the basement? Was it hope or was it despair?
0: He also says in his inner monologue... I'd easily give up my life if it actually managed to change something. So this goes Mm -hmm. back to our ongoing question here at Strictly Anime about what is Aaron's true motivation? And could this hint that it really is about him, you know, placing himself as the world's greatest enemy in order to change everything for the people that he cares about, to change things for the greater good? So then right after that, Aaron kisses Historia's hand and unlocks all these crazy-ass memories, including when Grisha stole the Founding Titan from the Rice family and is traumatized. Um, He has that, like, traumatic look on his face. But was he traumatized because he knew he'd be the one to force Grisha to do all this when we saw uh, Grisha's face in that moment as well? Because if you can picture, like... Aaron kisses Historia's hand, he sees all these memories from Grisha's point of view, but then we see Grisha's traumatized face. And we know, having seen the final season, that that face he's making is as Aaron's whispering in his ear, you need Mm -hmm. to finish what you started, you need to kill all these people. So is Aaron also giving a traumatized face when everyone's like, Aaron, are you okay? Because he realizes he's gonna have to do all these things to Grisha?
1: I don't think Aaron knew in that moment of kissing Historia's hand. I think he was definitely traumatized by seeing what his father had done.
0: And just unlocking a shitload more of, of the memories. Mm-hmm. I, I think, in theory, that unlocked all of his memories because he's been slowly unlocking them, but there were still holes in the story. I think that he kisses Historia's hand. She has royal blood. The floodgates open of memories. Now he knows everything. And I mean everything because as the Attack Titan has the ability to see into the future, he knows what's going to happen to some of the people that he cares about or what's going to mm. happen to Paradise or to Marley. And to get all of that information in one moment is probably a lot to handle.
1: I mean, that that does make sense because we see Eren slowly slip into a state of depression um, in the flashbacks we see in the final season, flashbacks that take place after this point. Before he enters or discreetly enters Marley.
0: Yeah, as Aaron's hair is growing, he's becoming more and more emo. (laughs) 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 That really is the turning point. That is when emo Aaron starts to unveil himself. But speaking of hair, holy shit, Flock's hair changed after the time skip because it's been a year and they're heading now, they're now heading towards the sea. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, wait a minute, where's the poop on his head?
1: Yeah, I think this is the bridge between the. Between season three and the final season, because Flock's hair and here matches what he looks like in the final season
0: when he got his glow up.
1: Yeah, the, the K-pop hairstyle, as I like to call it,
0: before Armin got his glow up though. Oh okay. <laughs>
1: yeah, that that's true. And then we see Aaron's hair grow a little bit more too.
0: You know what's interesting though is on their way to the sea, Aaron touches that Titan who had just like seemingly given up on life, and then he knows that it came from Marley. He says this is one of our our patriots um that was dumped here or whatever is that just him making an educated guess or was that him touching the titan and actually seeing something
1: mm yeah i'm not sure i think the obvious thing is that there's a the whole path behind the titan which they follow that leads them to the wall uh but yeah i think he was just maybe being poetic in that moment
0: Um, Speaking of that wall really quick, uh, this is not a hint, but just something I noticed. So when they go around the wall where they were like injecting the uh, Eldians with a serum and then kicking them into Paradise, there's like this little hill on the right hand side where they take the horses and go up that way. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, so they they took the one dude, um, the blonde guy, which by the way, do we talk about the fact that that's Grice Falco's relation?
1: That's Falco and Colt's, I think, uncle. Yeah. Or um, great uncle, I don't know. <laughs> which
0: we get more confirmation about that in the final season. But yeah, the, Grisha keeps calling him Grice because we know that that's that's their same last name. But anyway, so the, the Marleans in the flashback send Grice out there first so that he can draw the Pure Titans away from them and they can leave, you know, comfortably. But I'm thinking if I were Grice, I would have just. Like cut the corner, gone up that hill, and drawn all the pure Titans right back (laughs) over to the Marlians. Even if they shoot him dead, they've already got the Titans on the way up that hill because it's not a very big wall or not a long wall, and that hill is not that hard to climb.
1: Isn't it steep, though? At least from the angle we see the scouts ride it up.
0: Yeah, but even still, even if he just makes it like a quarter of the way up that hill, now you've got the pure Titans already on their way. Back towards yeah. the port, and they could just wreck the Marleans. Just something I thought about. Obviously, it didn't pan out that way, but yeah.
1: I was thinking more so what if the scouts, like, they have galloped to the wall and then they see a bunch of Marlean soldiers back at that wall to, to send more <laughs> Titans out there? Yeah, like, they just happen they to be there as yeah. the
0: Marleans are trying to, they're at the port as well. Yeah, that would I mean, be crazy. <laughs> imagine, like,
1: like the Marlins just shoot them down, and then that's the end of Attack on Titan. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> In the very final moments of the scouts hanging out at the sea, we have Aaron, who says he always believed that on the other side of the sea was freedom, but it's actually enemies. And that all the memories he saw from his dad came true. They were all right. And he says it with a pained look on his face. Is he looking so distraught about it because he can also see the future memories? And and if so far nothing has been wrong, then all the terrible, horrible things that he saw through the future memories, he knows will come true.
1: Mm. I was thinking, because he says, if we kill all our enemies over there, will we finally be free? Implying that he isn't sure about what the future holds. But you saying that, you can also think of it that he does know what the future is, and he's questioning, once all is said and done, will they finally be free?
0: Yeah, and I know this was touched on a bit in season four, the final season, that there may be a way to change memories and to change fate. Well, not change memories, but change fate um, that Aaron is seeing through the memories, so this is just kind of like an ongoing question of like how much control does Aaron really have or is his path already decided for him? And of course, we get the meme of if we destroy everyone over there, will we all be free? <laughs> when everyone <laughs> wanted to stand on a beach and point across the water.
1: By the way, I don't know if you ever questioned the significance of the seashell that Armin's holding.
0: No, but I noticed that they kept showing it to us. What What does that mean?
1: So I found an article on attackontitan.quora.com that brings up an interesting point, and you can share this on the Discord, is that, you know, Armin's dream has always been to venture to the sea. And I think that's what is being symbolized here by Armin holding up the seashell to show Eren. And I think the idea is that Armin thought that he and Eren were sharing the same dream of venturing beyond the walls to the sea. But as we, as we see in this moment, that is no longer Aaron's dream, because he realizes that, like the sea, isn't the finite point towards freedom. Like they still have to continue fighting. So it's a very melancholy symbol that Armin and Aaron no longer see eye to eye in that sense.
0: Yeah, that is sad because even in this part of the season, Aaron is constantly talking about the sea and you know, helping Armin to achieve his dream of seeing the sea. <laughs> um, and then it, it ends on the, a less than ideal note. And then we have a flood of imagery during the credits, mm-hmm. which I remember everyone dissecting like crazy on Twitter and Reddit when uh, those credits first rolled. And I don't have them in front of me. Do you have like a list of the imagery that we see?
1: I don't. Let me pull up a a YouTube video, though, because
0: I remember people were like, "Yeah, this is straight up like stuff that's going to happen in the final season," or "This is straight up like spoilers." (laughs) So I was worried to like deep dive it at the time, deep dive into it at the time, because I didn't want all of the all those things to be spoiled for me.
1: All right, so I I did find a YouTube video. We see the landscapes that are beyond the walls, um, the landscapes in Paradise. There's a shot of, I think it's a scout firing. Oh, sorry, it's a a scout firing a rifle. I think from season one when they were battling for trust. Uh, we see images of battlefields and was this like aircraft, uh, military aircraft, as well as steam. What do you call it? Like steamships, steamboats. Yeah. No trenches. Yeah, trench warfare, which I think harkens back to. Or is a foreshadowing of what happens in this final season, part one.
0: Like literally the first episode right. of them in that battle.
1: Um, it looks like there's a shot of... Oh, from the first episode where everyone's fleeing the colossal titan that's breached Wall Maria. This is a line of soldiers looking like they're about to fire uh, like an execution squad, crying Aaron. And then there's a shot of like a... Looks like all of these folks in marley maybe they're i don't think they're no they're not ldns because they're not wearing the armbands but they're looking at newspapers i'm sure it's probably like the marley propaganda saying oh we've succeeded in an initial operation against parodies and so kind of reflecting that propaganda piece that's prevalent throughout this series and then i think there's a shot of this kid buried under rubble and I think we see this similar. We see this scene play out when Aaron's attack Titan um, invades Liberio.
0: Yeah, this one I remember. This one made its rounds on Twitter.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, a, a sea of blood uh, and destruction. A very young and a very angry Aaron. Probably when he was like, "I was, I'll exterminate all the Titans and wipe them out." And then a shot of paths uh, with the starry constellations. Final shot. Is of Aaron looking out the windows, and then of the seashell that I mentioned earlier. Uh, so, a lot of interspersed shots of things we've seen previously, as well as like foreshadowing of what's to come in the final season.
0: Yeah, it's kind of crazy, like what they're showing us here. I mean, it's not the first time that Attack on Titan has straight up shown us some intense imagery that would spoil a lot for the future of the story. Here, it's like they were laying out the roadmap for what the final season would really be about.
1: And maybe it was intentional on which studios part since this is the final season that they've worked on for Attack on Titan. But did
0: they know back then that they weren't going to take on the final season? They might have. I don't know. I, I don't know like the inner workings of how that's all determined.
1: I feel like the way that this ending played out, it was almost like it was a highlight reel of everything that they had done previously mixed in with, again, what we should expect to see. Um, so yeah, that's my assumption. Like, this was their, their swan song, and so they wanted to end it gracefully, in a way. And that brings us to our final thoughts for Attack on Titan Season 3, Part 2. So, how many, oh, that's a beast balls, out of 10, would you give this season?
0: Well, I know we have the question, like, does this part of the story does season three part two hold up after all of these years since it's is technically a rewatch and like what did what did we give it the first time what rating do we give it the first time we watched it and would we still give it the same rating uh to answer the first question yes i absolutely think that season three part two held up after all of these years and if anything had even more meaning to me than before because I now understand. I fully understand and fully appreciate everything that we learned once the basement was accessed. Um, so when I first watched this part of the show, I gave it a 10 out of 10. Absolutely phenomenal. Loved it. It is still and continues to be, oh, that's the same thing. It is still my favorite part of Attack on Titan so far. Knowing that the show is still ongoing, um, there may be something that you know, causes me to to pick something else as my favorite part. But this has maintained its uh, place as my favorite part for quite some time. Um, and I would still give it a 10 out of 10. Rewatching it, I'm like, absolutely. If I could give it an 11 out of 10, I would. It is just the closest thing to perfection that we've gotten so far in the show. I know I've given parts of the final season. In fact, I think I've given everything in the final season a 10 out of 10. But if I were to compare season three, part two to the 10 out of 10s I gave in the final season, Season 3 Part 2 would reign supreme. What about you?
1: Yeah, I think I previously gave uh, Season 3 Part 2 a 10 out of 10 on mail, and my score is pretty much going to say the same. It is a a 10 out of 10 even after this rewatch, especially because Season 3, with this core, it went from what could have been the suckiest season to the most impactful season of AOT to date, even when considering the final season, um, I think it was so significant in that it really flipped the script and what we thought we knew about the world of Attack on Titan, and it did so in a masterful way that felt fresh, it felt appropriate, and overall it felt captivating. Uh, so, like the Historia arc aside, the Second Core was I would consider like a definite masterclass in how to blend action and tension with intrigue and exposition that never felt stagnant or or drawn out, especially because this core was the culmination of everything that viewers had been waiting for, I want to say in the six or so years prior to the release of season three, what they had been waiting to see. And again, I just like to reiterate that the Levi versus Beast Titan scene will forever live rent-free in my head, and still remains the most epic piece of art I have seen in an anime. Um, and just thinking about the factor of time, it's amazing to think that Isayama's dystopian story about monstrous giants has evolved into something even more poignant and riveting. But it still managed to keep our interest after having crafted it over such a long period. And I think just all in all, the turning points of season three were just fantastic setup to thrust us into the madness of the final season And, of course, props to its studio for bowing out both gracefully and bombastically by helming this core one final time. And just regardless of how this anime series concludes its story, I think no one can argue the fact that season three, part two, is definitely a titan of a watershed moment to be reckoned with.
0: One of the craziest things to note is that there's only 10 episodes. I think Mm -hmm. this is the shortest part. or or core that we've gotten in Attack on Titan. And that proves that you don't need a lot of time to tell a great story. You can do a lot with very little time. Because subtracting two episodes from, from the count, that is a lot of time to add a significant amount to storytelling and to... I guess kind of like elongate the pacing or do things with the pacing so that um, the story can have more depth to it. But here it had plenty of depth. It had plenty of really good pacing and it delivered everything that it needed to without feeling rushed or like things were skipped. I know we didn't deep dive into everything that we learned once the basement was opened up but we got enough to lay that foundation of what the AOT lore really was and that allowed the final season to shine because it gave us all of the intricate details that we had been waiting for. So yeah, props to Wit Studio for doing such amazing work with just 10 episodes.
1: I think it's a, a fine example of quality over quantity. The irony though is that I feel like this podcast episode is the longest aot retrospective that we've done
0: (laughs) (laughs) probably again with that information dump we got in the latter half it's it's a lot to go through but it's been a really good discussion Mm -hmm. and it's kind of bittersweet that we've completed our retrospective that we've looked back on everything aot seasons one through three but hey now we can look forward to march 3rd slash 4th of 2023 when attack on titan will be back
1: yeah I would say like this was a very worthwhile scavenger hunt to pick up all the pieces we might have missed along the way with the first three seasons of Attack on Titan. And yeah, I'm just more excited to see, or this gets me more excited to see the conclusion of what is definitely going to be an anime epic.
0: And hopefully you guys enjoyed this. Hopefully you had just as much fun as we did going back and picking up all of these hints that have been left along the way and reliving Attack on Titan up until the final season and of course look forward to the return of our attack on titan special event which will be back i think march 8th will be the first episode that's the wednesday after the season premieres so join us once again for this wild ride of attack on titan and now we know there's even more to come down the road and as always, subscribe to Strictly Anime on your favorite podcast service, join our Discord to chat with us, follow us on Instagram at the Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, TheStrictlySeries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash and tune into Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's bizarre adventure. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. Sasageo.
1: Shinzowo Sasageo. Where the scouts learn that their not so distant relatives, the Eldians, live under the oppressive regime of the Marlians, who find Eldians more threatening than the wimpy name of their own country.
0: Front <laughs> <laughs>